the blast from our past network. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Session 9, starring Peter Mulan, David Caruso, and Josh Lucas. Hello, Corey. What was that? Did you did you hear that, Corey? Oh, oh I don't know. I did. Was that coming through my my headphones? What was that? That was weird. I, I don't know. Okay, well, we'll just start the regular episode, and hopefully that doesn't happen again later on in the episode. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, welcome to Podcasting After Dark. Woo-hoo. It's me. It's Zach. I haven't done a show in forever. It feels like <laughs> we've been on. Like we've, we've had so much content going on throughout this past few months, and I feel like wait, wait, I haven't broken down an episode in a while. But yeah, it's me. It's the total snackage, Zach Schaefer. And joining me as always is my bodaciously beautiful co-host, Sleazy C. What's going on, Sleazy C? What's going on, baby? <laughs> What's up, baby? Yeah, you can call me Cordo in this episode. <laughs> What's up, Cordo? Did you win on a scratch? Did you get a scratch? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, the, the blackjacks, baby. The blackjack scratches. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone listening right now that has no idea what we're talking about, we are talk. We are going to be breaking down a rather uh, recent Freaky Fest movie, 2001's Session 9 today on Podcasting After Dark, today, tonight, whatever, depending on when you listen to this. Um, Really quick, uh, this film holds a very special place in my heart. It was the movie that whenever I was dating a girl back in the day and she said, what's the scariest movie you own? I'd say, oh, let me put on Session 9 for you. And then it's... (laughs) Subsequently, it would scare the shit out of her. Um, I've seen this movie multiple times, multiple, multiple, multiple times. I think I saw, I was think I was at a Fangoria, and Fangoria, uh, the director, I think, was there, Brad Anderson, and uh, presenting the movie and clips from the movie, which terrified the Fango audience. And ever since then, it's been a staple in my kind of library of uh, my go-to uh, I'm bored with scary movies. What's the scary movie, scariest movie you know of like recent days? And I go, oh, this one. Yeah. And uh, that's where it's stuck. And so I had been wanting to bring this to the table for a very long time. It wasn't my Halloween pick because One Dark Night was. Um, but this one has always been one I wanted to bring to pad simply for the fact that Corey, I know, I knew Corey hadn't seen it. And I wanted to freak Corey out for a change. I usually get him laughing and going, Oh my God, that was amazing. Or I was so stoned and I was laughing my ass off. And this one was like, Oh my God, I might've peed myself. 
So Corey, uh, <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, buddy. I have a very complicated history with this film. Uh, I talked about it on the wrap-up after Dark episode, but I'll just put it down here for for officialness of it all. Uh, when I was working at the video store in Maryland, I worked there for about you know ten years when I was younger. I think I left like you know early two thousands. But this movie was out at the time, and I remember. Uh, the owner of the video store purchased a giant stack of them, right? Because he was always trying to make the store like an official store, whereas we only made our money from the adult stuff. I mean, 99.9% of all our income came from adults. So all the quote-unquote regular movies up front sat where they, where they were, where they were placed, and they collected dust. So... <laughs> In my head, I constantly saw the 10 copies of Session 9 on DVD collecting dust, and I wrongfully assumed that it was a piece of crap film. Fast Mm. forward 20 years to where we are now. Zach has been hyping this movie up for about two and a half years now. You might have mentioned it before we started doing podcasting after dark, but yeah, I can't remember. Uh, But let's just say we, yeah, probably. But let's just say you've been hyping this up since we started doing podcast after dark. And I've always been like, session nine, this fucking movie, like that movie that collected dust at Big Wolf, you know? I was like, okay, (laughs) two nights ago, my life changed because I watched (laughs) session nine for the first time. Now, keep in mind, this has been built up as a scary fucking movie in my head this entire fucking time. And the fact that it still scared the fucking shit out of me is a testimony to how good this thing is. I tell you, yeah, my first viewing, bro, I would say about 60% of it was from behind a pillow. Like with my <laughs> oh, eyes squinted. In. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, guys and gals, I'm bearing my soul here, okay? I am a fucking pansy when it comes to like really scary like especially ghost stuff you know and mm-hmm. and you know this might and once you find out what this is all about it's not as scary watching it a second time but what you're left with is just the sickening eerie feeling of it all and that's another testimony to how good this movie is that it holds up under multiple viewings and is still freaky as fuck every single time that you watch it and that is session nine right there in a, in a nutshell. I think that's what makes it so enjoyable is because you can introduce it to new people knowing what's going to happen in the movie to see what their reaction is going to be. Um, and, and, and watching it again after knowing kind of the, uh, the, the, the jump gotcha moments in this movie, uh, you analyze it even more. And you, you appreciate it even more through analyzation. And then after you've analyzed the hell out of it, you can uh, study the cast because the cast is phenomenal. And after you do that, you study the location and, yeah. and yada, yada, yada. The the Shout Factory that, that came out for this or uh, Scream Factory or whatever uh, is really good. It's got a documentary on it. Um, I watched that- it right before uh, we recorded. It's like an hour. It's like 50 minutes, but it's really, really good. It, it really yep. gets into it. Yeah, very comprehensive. Uh, I mean, I remember when Brad Anderson, the director, was at Fango talking about how he was on a road trip or something scouting for like uh, various locations to make a movie and just happened upon this location for this uh, th- this film and just was in awe. And it's like it just immediately came to him, the idea, everything. So um, I-, I will add one little note about, about why I wanted to do this movie and, and-, and at this time. 
uh, as you very well know, our good friend David Irons has a book out, Seven Winters Alone, that we are producing. Um, it's got our hot logo on there and it's got us our beautiful faces and back of the book all that good stuff and uh we know we we don't promote something unless we believe in it even the thing even the thing remake believe it or not uh for mill creek and uh but but this one specifically we were jazzed and excited to be a part of this book and david irons graciously brought us on board to be a part of it and because this is not a haunted house, but it's haunted-esque, I was like, oh, this kind of fits. Yeah. Kind of fits. And actually, it actually fits the, the Seven Winters Alone story even better because that's about a, a haunted person. And this movie is about a haunted person. And, yeah, perfect perfect connection uh, with, with yeah. Seven Winters Alone and everything. But it's also... I'm so glad you brought this to the table here and now, uh, especially after posting. Uh, you know, you, you guys and gals all know that I, I run the the in Instagram account, and I posted the obligatory like we're going to record our session nine. Uh, you know, every you know this tonight thing. Uh, by the way, it was it was uh, Gordon's birthday yesterday when yeah, I Peter posted. Mulan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter Mul- Milan or Mullen or whatever. Yep. Um, the response that we got in the comments section blew my mind everybody's like this movie's fucking terrifying this movie's great what an underrated gem it is i think the truest in the truest form a modern cult classic and i think it hit the ground as a cult movie because it got like no play whatsoever i think the 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 company that was gonna um put it distribute it went under pretty much right away and then i think Mm. universal picked it up or something and they had no fucking clue what they had on their hands they had no clue what to do with it early 2000s you know man there was such a glut of like terrible horror films back then with bad cgi and everything late 90s early 2000s was just for me a time of in in the horror community the horror movies i just wasn't watching a lot of horror movies because i just didn't like a lot of them but this man this came out and and looking back at it now with a jesus 20 years in our past you can just see that like man how good this is how ahead of the time it is like man this feels like it could have came out today uh, like next to the conjuring or something you know with everything that's going on with it but again it's 2001. It's really fucking awesome. We just actually missed uh, the official 20th anniversary of this movie. It was in t- September. Oh, damn. Of, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I'm going to chalk that up with all the other stuff we had going on. And, yeah, it's this movie um, came out at a really interesting time, and it incorporates uh, aspects of you know, kind of one trick pony Blair Witch type stuff in a, not in, in a Blair Witch way, but just in the, they use a camera style that had not really been used up to this point, uh, predominantly for a feature film. So it has a unique look to it. Yes. So, so to elaborate on that, uh, this film was filmed on digital. Um, it was filmed with the Sony, there's a long ass number XB nine, three, six. It doesn't matter, but it was filmed with the first, Sony digital camera that could replicate 24 frames a second. And that's why this movie doesn't have that shitty digital look to it. But because it was digital and the camera that they were using, they mostly used natural light for everything. And they were able to get those giant wide shots and everything was just, you know, it's all in focus. It's all beautiful because the location here is just as 
much of of a character as anybody else in this movie you know they filmed at the the famous hospital up in massachusetts and right by boston and uh it's it's unbelievable looking and like you see all of it which is amazing and the cinematography in this movie is outstanding outstanding i and 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 before we jump into the movie in in a bit uh and i just want to just get it out of the way now if you haven't seen this movie don't listen to this episode yeah. yet. Go yeah. watch the movie first because this everything we're we're obviously breaking it down, so we're spoiling the hell out of this. And I know it's not a new film, but I think it's a new film to a lot of listeners. Yes. So if you have not seen this movie, turn this off right now and go watch it. Trust us. Like Corey said, you watch it the first time, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. You watch it the second time, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. I second everything Zach just said. And since he put the little spoiler thing on, we can, you know, talk more freely. But I completely back him up. I know, I know so many of you listen to our episodes first and then go watch the movie. Don't do that here. Please don't. This movie's yeah. so fucking good. And it deserves a proper viewing. So yep. we got, we both got it out of the way. We can talk freely now, but please turn this off if you haven't seen it yet. Hello, Corey. It's me, Billy. <laughs> well, did you hear something, Corey? Well, what was, was? I don't know. It came out my other, my other uh, headphone ear. You know, That's I, so I, weird. What's going on? I, I don't hope, know, man. This I hope we don't hear Princess at all. <laughs> Who the fuck is Princess, dude? Uh, <laughs> okay, let's get in the cast. Uh, well, quickly, quickly. Brad Anderson directed. Brad Anderson, uh, he did The Machinist, Trans-Siberian. Yes. Two great movies that I know a lot of people love. Dude, um, have you seen? You've seen The Machinist, right? I've seen The Machinist, and Me I saw too. Trans-Siberian too. Trans-Siberian is not as good as The Machinist, but The Machinist is very good. And uh, so he, you know, also he, he, Brad Anderson wrote it, but he also wrote it with uh, Stephen Gevden, who plays Mike in this. Yes, he does. And he actually did a movie called Next Stop Wonderland, which is a, it's a cool indie film as well. He's also directed a couple episodes of this new show um, called Clickbait that that Myra's watching. And oh, by the way, Myra watched this with me and she fucking loved it. She's been telling everybody at Trader Joe's about it. Yay. Yay. Go Trader Joe's. Love me some Trader Joe's. Shout out to Trader Joe's, yo. <laughs> Trader Joe's, yo. <laughs> uh, the cast, I'm going to go all out of order that IMDb lists them and go with the people who are actually the lead actors in this film. Yeah. So, um, yeah, is it Peter Mullen or Peter Mulan? I always, I've always said Peter Mulan. I've, well... I've never even kind of heard of him until now. And then, oh, really? Yeah, and and I mean, I'm looking through his IMDb stuff, and yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. But I'm just telling you right now, he is so unbelievably good in this movie. He just is dripping with acting awesomeness. Yeah, he um he was recently on Westworld, and he was recently on the uh, Ozark. Mm. Um, he's been in a ton of stuff. He's a Scottish actor. Um, Scottish actor? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm never. It's funny. I'm half Scottish and half Irish. I'm never quite good at at, at that. But uh, he was also in Children of Men too. Yeah, he's just he, he's. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a Scottish Scottish actor. I'm gonna call him Peter Mullan, but it could be Peter Mullen, and I apologize. It's probably Peter Mullen. 
Oh, well. Well, you'll hear in the intro I say Milan, but just disregard that, whatever. <laughs> Does it really matter? Probably not. He's, uh, he's he, not going to ta- listen. <laughs> no, talented dude. So talented. So talented. He plays Gordon. Um, a.k.a. Gordo. <laughs> a.k.a. Gordo, a.k.a. Gordy. Uh, David Caruso. Our boy from uh, Pad, from Pad King of New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. He plays Phil. If you don't know who David Caruso is, who, where, what planet are you from? <laughs> and, uh, and he he did this like right before he booked CSI Miami. So yeah, this was uh, they're they're lucky they got him, and I think they got him because the USA Pictures, whoever was was producing this or distributing it had kind of a relationship with him and they kind of, they didn't force David Caruso on the team, but they were like, Hey, why don't you use David Caruso? Because he wasn't uh, uh, getting much work and everything. Yeah. And, and I think even the, the director said he wasn't quite what they were looking for, but honestly he goes, he, he, I think it works out well. And truthfully, I think it's a great dynamic. I think the entire team has a great dynamic and I think David Caruso fits perfectly with this cast. He does fit perfectly, and yeah, you're right. He was he was kind of hitting a low period. I think the, the last movie he might have done before this was like a Kiss Kiss Before Dying, or what was that? It was a Jade or Kiss of Death? Oh, maybe. Kiss of Death. Yeah, I saw that yeah. in the theater, by the way. Which yeah. actually, I like that movie. He, I, I didn't hate it. Yeah, and I like Jade also. I thought Jade was really good. They got yeah. a, she uses the heel. Yeah, yeah, she I remember. Fu- heel fucks a guy. I, dude, I I was <laughs> like, what I, the hell? I was a giant David Caruso fan because I was a huge NYPD Blue fan, so I was all on board for David Caruso back in the day. Michael Beans and Jade, yeah, directed by William Friedkin, I mm-hmm. think, and um, uh, Linda Fiorentino and huge cast. Anyways, this is not a breakdown of Jade. <laughs> it's um, not a, we, we may get to it one day. You guys never I know. know. Why not? Why not? Uh, yeah, no, he 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 was definitely uh, hitting a slump. And I'm so glad he did this movie. Man, oh man, he's great in it. He plays Phil. Josh Lucas plays Hank. Uh, Josh Lucas is a very talented actor. He's been in a slew of things. Um, also the voice of Home Depot, I think. Oh, that's <laughs> Home Depot commercials, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure. But anyways, uh, you guys all know Josh Lucas. He's been in a bunch of romantic comedies, action thrillers, all this stuff. Yeah, uh, Josh Lucas is is the... Perfect example of that guy that pops up in movies, and every time I see him, I go, I like that guy. And he he kind of plays like an asshole a lot of times, but for some reason, I just, I like the, the shape of his head or something, but I just, every time I see him, I'm like, I like Josh Lucas a lot. And then I go look at his IMDb, and I'm like, I really haven't seen that much with him in it, but he always stands out to me. And in this movie, he stands out awesomely. Uh, he do- he sure does, and, and you know, he... um. He looks like a young Paul Newman to me for some reason, a little bit. But I want—I will shout out one sp- specific movie I love him in that you should definitely check out. I think you would love it. It's called Undertow. Uh, it's got Dermot Mulroney in it as well. And it's like a backwoods. Uh, that one in the movie Mud with Matthew McConaughey where they're like hmm. kind of uh, backwood, you know, yeah. like rednecky. I've seen Mud. It would be a nice counterpiece to that. Okay. It's, uh, it's a good movie, Undertow. Okay. Um. Stephen Cavenden plays Mike. Like Corey said, he co-wrote this film. He's been in a bunch of independent stuff. Uh, you know, it's nothing, nothing too standout-ish. I would say he's phenomenal in this, and yeah. I would love to see more of him. Yeah, the same, same here. I, I really liked him in this, and I went and looked at his IMDb, and I'm like, I don't really know anything here. It's like he was in War of the Worlds uh, with Tom Cruise, but I was like, I saw it once. I don't really remember. 
Yeah, probably a small role. Yeah. Um, and rounding out the main cast is Brendan Sexton the <laughs> third. And this, by the oh way, this boy. dude has been working, man. This guy's got some. He's got a shit ton of credits under his belt. Yeah, and, Brendan Sexton is is he came on the scene in the er, in the mid '90s in M- Empire Records, which he was great in. And then he oh, did. And, um, and Welcome to the Dollhouse. That was his first one. Yeah. And when he goes up to Wiener, Don Wiener, and he's like, "You're gonna get raped." after school today and then she's like waiting for him and she's and he's like what are you doing here and she's like i'm waiting to get raped that's <laughs> crazy it's in the movie <laughs> welcome to the dollhouse is bonkers it's, I, I know it's so I, good i think i saw it with a with a girlfriend like way back in the 90s or something but i, I barely remember it because a girlfriend also made me watch that and like uh, was it like I'm? A, but I'm a cheerleader or something. That that other movie. But I'm a cheerleader with oh, the, yeah. with the girl from Russian Doll in it and everything. But anyway, he was in Russian Doll, by the way. So yeah, good, good yeah, for he, him. He's great. He he's uh, he he was. I don't want to say typecast, but he was definitely the kind of typecast as this like you know, uh, white trash idiot throughout a lot of movies that he plays. But yeah. um. And this one, he he's so good yeah. as 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 Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> as Jeff. Um, another couple little smaller roles, but they're definitely important. Paul Gofoil plays Bill Griggs. He's like the uh, he's the guy in charge of the hospital, like the cleaning out the hospital, and and, and we'll get into that in a minute. But he, this dude has been in everything. 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 I guess CSI Vegas is like the big thing he's always on now. People would recognize him from that. I, I always recognize him from LA Confidential, but yeah, yeah, he's been Air Force One. I mean, you see him like, oh yeah, 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 that guy right there. That guy. And um, I was going to point it out later, but I bring it up now. Uh, uh, Larry uh, Fessenden? Yeah, who plays <laughs> Craig McManus. Dude, so I didn't look at the IMDb before seeing it, you know, and his entrance is grand. But as soon as he gets out of the car, I was, like, I was like, I know that gigantic forehead anywhere that's larry fessenden and uh you know right now he's kind of hot off of um uh jacob's wife with uh barbara cranston uh was in that i still need to watch that it's on shutter um but and that's actually kind of what like I, i'm barbara looking crampton? at like barbara crampton sorry i said cranston i don't know why i said that guys and gals don't don't drive off the road barbara crampton um and uh jacob's wife kind of put put him on the map for me even though i've seen a bunch of other stuff with him and he was and he was in your next and everything but i didn't really notice him until until jacob's uh, wife was about to come out and then you know i'm on instagram running the 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 pad page and everyone's talking about larry fezzedin and i'm like who the fuck is this guy and i kind of went down this rabbit hole but i still don't quite understand the cult of Larry Fezzedin. Uh he's apparently he's a he's a big time he's big in the independent scene, you know, yeah. whole, like movie scene. He's he's New York and everything. I don't know why he doesn't have a tooth uh or, or like what's the deal, but he's just he's such a a weird and interesting looking guy and you can't look away, but you know, and he always has these weird small roles. Like in, in your next, he plays like the first person they kill. And then through the entire movie, he's like sitting there dead on his couch, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, Larry Fezzedin, he's got a cult around him, but I, I don't quite understand it, but respect, I guess, respect to the, the cult of Larry Fezzedin. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen Wendigo. I've seen house of the devil. Um, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I know that he 
yeah, he's got a big cult following, and I don't want to shit. I'm not Habit's shitting like on him. It's like his his first big one. Everyone talks about Habit. I've I've never seen that. Yeah, he's a big personality, at least when he's on screen. And man, is Craig McManus. Oh, holy shit. He's great. He so. is, The way he drives his car in the scene, woo, we'll be talking about that when we get <laughs> oh, there. Oh, <laughs> baby, you know we are. We know we are. Um, What are you doing here? What's I'm, I'm, I'm tapping on my headphones. So do I hear something? Is something coming oh, through? Did, did, did something was, – was there somebody else on the line? That's weird. <laughs> I, okay, well, I guess we better get to this, huh? We right. jump right in. <laughs> okay, so without further ado – Let's crank this puppy up to, uh, I don't know, nine for session nine. And I gotta get construction crews in here by Columbus Day, so. You got a guess for how long? I've got four really good guys. One week, we're gone. That's fast. I need the job. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. <laughs> you might actually want to be grateful, and you're about to make some decent money. What's the catch? Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination. The shrinks figured that with these new techniques they designed, they could release hidden memories. You can hear me. You okay? I want to go home. I wouldn't tell anybody about this. If they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. We have the others. When I come home, I am so sorry. All right, uh, lame opening with the new Universal Studios logo. I'm like, ah, I hate that shit. So, anyways, it's 2001, guys. Nothing's gonna be retro about this at all. Um, but yeah, opens up, and the, the first shot you see is you hear these weird sound effects and there's a there's a cold shot of this uh, chair like a hospital chair in a dilapidated old like hallway this will come up quite a bit throughout the movie but that's how the movie opens um with, with upside the down it's upside down so good we we talk about all these movies in the past that, like have terrible like like you know title cards and everything like split second but this <laughs> one dude is one of the best that we've reviewed so far really good and then they flash the ti- the name of the movie on the screen session 9 it's written like um, you know, the, the, when you print out, uh, the, the little tape, yeah. the words, <laughs> words, <laughs> bring the that tape. so good. <laughs> the label maker. It's like the little label Thank maker you. style. The label yeah. Maker. yeah. I know, I know what you were going for. <laughs> From there, you cut to two dudes in a van. It's Gordon and Phil. Phil's changing stations on the radio and he's just kind of muttering to himself and looking for a radio station. And then he says to Gordy or Gordon, he's like, "Hey, Gordy, he's like, you look tired, man. You, you, your turn to feed Emma." In regards to uh, Gordon's new baby, 
and uh and then gordon's like and looking all disheveled and tired and he's like no well she's still got that ear ear infection and uh and phil's like man she's still got that after the christening and how's wendy holding up wendy's his wife Ah, uh, she's tired same as me and he's like well phil goes so if you need anything gordon you let me know okay i'm i'm here for you I love how this starts because yeah. it's just the camera is a close up of Gordon and you almost don't even see David Caruso for like the first 45 seconds, you know, like he's talking and it's just on Gordon and just right away you're like something ain't right here. Yeah, um Gordon looks really tired and yep. obviously he's he's reeling from having a newborn and he's working full time as well. Uh and Phil clearly is his buddy, his coworker, but it's his buddy, you know. And uh for the, anybody who has kids, and has to go back to work right after they've been born, you know, it, it, it's challenging, especially uh, when you're teaching them how to sleep. So I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, from there, you cut to a security guard uh, on the security guard pulling up uh, to Danvers. You see a sign on the drive up to this hospital. It says Danvers State Hospital, no trespassing. The guard goes to Phil and Gordon in the van, and he's like, oh, he tells them that this guy, Bill Griggs, uh, is on his way to meet them up there. He'll be up there in a few minutes. Uh, and then Phil's like, oh, cool, cool. Can, but can I ask you a quick question? He's like, um, when was this hospital actually closed? And the guy says, oh, 85. Uh, and Phil says, well, yeah, because, you know, I'm curious because you got the firearm on you, and the guard does, has a gun on him. And he's like, it's not like people are trying to get out, right? Huh? And the guard says, no, no, not, not out, in. You know, like kids, delinquents, homeless people. And then lots of patients end up in the streets when this place closed down, and sometimes they come back. I found half a dozen squatting up there last spring. Feels like the patients come back. He's like, yeah, they come back. I mean, God knows why. Wait, wait, wait till you see the place. I'd rather sleep in the street personally. Then again, I'm I'm not nuts. <laughs> and not going to lie, man, the security guard guy, he's only in like two scenes. He crushes it. He absolutely fucking crushes it. Yeah everybody's acting their ass off this film has a very like natural natural almost cinema verite style yeah like texas chainsaw massacre where you're just watching almost like a documentary you feel like you're watching a snapshot of someone out like someone was holding a video camera you know filming this whole thing yeah you're absolutely correct dude it, it feels like that and then and the acting feels just so very natural in this movie uh from there so you get the sense too you're already laying the foundation that they're they're these guys are like a asbestos. I didn't mention in the beginning. They're an asbestos cleanup crew. Uh, they're here at this hospital to remove asbestos. And you automatically get the sense that, okay, they're about to go to this place that's, according to the security guard, pretty creepy looking. And dangerous. And dangerous, too, if it's asbestos. Oh, baby, if it's asbestos. So Gordon and Phil are kind of talking back and forth to each other. And it's like a discussion slash argument. Um, Gordon's telling Phil that there was another crew up here last week. And and you get the sense that there's other bid, other companies trying to bid to get this hospital. Like it's a big get. Yeah. Uh, the other one's called American Yankee. And, and we're going to find out that if Gordon did, doesn't get this bid, their company is going to go under. So that reinforces what you're saying, that this is a big contract for them. It's a big contract. And, and this guy, Griggs, that they're going to meet, he's the guy who decides who gets the winning bid, basically. 
uh, Phil, you know, says to Gordon, he's like, well, he likes jobs fast. And, and Gordon's like, well, I like them safe. And then Phil, and this is where they started arguing. Phil's like, well, we can't gamble with this, Gordon. You want me to talk to uh, Griggs? And, and Gordon's like, Phil, I know what I'm doing, okay? And then uh, Phil's like, okay. But you can tell, like, they look a little, Phil looks a little, like, unsure about Gordon. Yeah, yeah. As they're driving up, Phil automatically shouts out. He's like, holy shit, look at this place. <laughs> and then you get a shot of the the whole hospital the face of the hospital and it is creepy as fuck because the thing is guys like you know a lot of movies build creepy sets right or they they find a a location and then dirty it up well the reality is this this location didn't need a whole lot of dirtying up they pretty much shot they shot it as is they didn't add a whole lot which I think adds to the fear factor of this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and don't get it twisted. It it's Danvers State Hospital. That's a real place. They film there, and they're referring to it by name. So you can Google it right now. Just as long as you're not driving, guys, <laughs> you can Google it right now and see what it looks like if you haven't seen this movie. Just look up Danvers State Hospital in uh, Massachusetts, and it is a beautiful piece of architecture, but it's also terrifying as fuck. Yeah, because when we find out what has been going on there for the past, I don't know, 100 years or so, it makes it even worse. Yeah. Um, Griggs shows up. Griggs is giving them a uh, tour of they, they kind of uh, once you see the shot of the front of the hospital there, you're now inside the hospital getting a tour. Phil and Gordon are uh, with Griggs. Griggs tells them that the hospital's uh, been around since 1871. They call it the Kirkbride Building, named after Dr. Thomas Kirkbride. He says, well, you know, it's a pretty simple layout, really. If you consider a giant flying bat, <laughs> you know, the main staff building in the middle, the bat body, and slanting off to each side are these, like, giant crooked bat wings. You know, one for the female patients, the other for the male. And he starts making bat noises. You know? <laughs> I love this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like him. Like, He's great. <laughs> He's great. He's like, yeah, believe it or not, this place is listed in the National Historic Register. You know, that's why I can't tear it down. I'd love to, you know. Only one-tenth of it's sal- fa- salvageable, but the land the land is priceless. You know, put up a Walmart maybe, but uh, the <laughs> town manager wants to reclaim it. So, uh, And then as he's, like, rambling on, Phil's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. As they're walking, he's like, what the fuck is this? And they stop, and they stop in the... Um, is it the hydrotherapy? Hi- yeah, they stop in the hydrotherapy. I know what things are. And basically are. what it is, is like uh, on one wall, you've got this kind of, I don't know if it's like a, a swan or an egret or something, like a, like, a, like a mural painted on one wall to make it seem happy. And then there's these big um, tubs that they would soak, according to Griggs, they'd soak the nut jobs in cold water. I guess that was a way to chill them out. I don't know. Or they give them a lobotomy. Yeah, you know, like prefrontal lobotomy perfected here at danvers yeah there's there's a lot of lobotomy stuff in this there is and guys this is you know one flew over cuckoo's nest girl interrupted the you know yeah. uh, cr- crazy crazy movies about quote-unquote crazy people back in the day that this was the norm for all of you younger people who are unfamiliar um before we had well, this is debatable and controversial, but before we had such an onslaught of homeless issues in this country, 
a lot of those people that are now homeless were would probably be in these hospitals uh, forced under, you know, be there without their consent, basically. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, and all the, the medical facilities, all the insane asylums essentially got shut down in uh, in the 80s during uh, the Reagan era. And they'll yep. talk about that later. They're actually pretty correct on some of it. Uh, the story he tells is actually uh, fairly accurate Fictitious about or? not. Oh, no, go ahead. No, it's actually based on a real story. We'll talk more about it. But um, the a lot of the these facilities, mental facilities got shut down during the 80s. Uh, the, the Reagan Reagan just basically shut them down and all the crazy people just went out on the street. And yeah, Zach's like like Zach says, a lot of them there, you know, without their consent, and all that kind of stuff. But it was also because they couldn't give consent because they were so far gone for a lot of these. And yes, obviously, you know, the, the method, some of these methods were horrible, but at least some of these people had a roof over their head, you know, until 85. Yeah. yeah, we didn't, we, we, we let them out into the world and we didn't bother to figure out how to find an alternative for nope. them. So thank you very much. Thank <clears throat> you, Reaganomics. Woohoo. Um, this is kind of an interesting moment because Griggs is going on about the prefrontal lobotomies. He's talking about his wife is like the town historian. She likes to keep, he likes to keep me in the know. It's like, Hey, you know, there's a fantastic morgue in the basement where they do the postmortem. And then Gordon's like, Bill, 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 could, could you show us the, the, the problem areas? <laughs> like, can we just cut to the shit? Cause he's kind of freaked out. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And they leave the hydrotherapy room. Uh, and they go through what appears to be like the kitchen. Uh, as they're walking into like the main mess hall area, Briggs continues and he's like, you know, this is like a self-contained town. There is a church here. There is a movie theater, a bowling alley. He goes, oh, there's a lovely cemetery up behind the machine shop. No headstones, just numbers. You really ought to check it out. Oh, watch your step. You know, <laughs> and like, it's like in the middle of giving them the tour, but he's so kind of excited. Uh, and he's like, this will become the municipal archives, my wife's department. Like they're going to convert this thing into like a, like a functioning uh, workspace, right? That's the intention. And so Gordon and Phil point out that in this kind of mess hall open area, the, all the tiles on the floor will all have to go. They're all deadly. They're, they're loaded, loaded with asbestos. And Griggs like stops himself. He goes, well, you know, the other, the other bids didn't point that out. And Gordon's like, well, it's standard. And uh, it, it's just a moment where he's like, you know, look, guys, like the, he, he goes back to him being safe versus fast. Yeah. Right? And the fact that he's calling out something the other guys didn't, you know, obviously we got to take his word for it, but I'm fairly sure he's, he's like accurate. It seems like he is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He takes him to the female wing, Ward C. He's like, oh, this will be the administration office, the town manager's office, the Department of Public Works. And you see Phil like kind of looking at all the graffiti on the walls because uh, it's all tagged up from probably, you know, <laughs> My note here is nice cock graffiti. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> nice cock and balls. <laughs> right. So they they continue walking through the different wards of the hospital, and Griggs points out that there's uh, wards A, B, C, and D. He's like, Ward A, which I call the wingtip, it's the farthest away from the staff building. This is where they keep the extreme patients out. And Phil uh, Phil's like, what do you mean extreme? He's like, well, psychotic. And uh, and Phil's like, you keep the most dangerous ones furthest away, right? And Phil's like, you're you're so smart. He's like, whoever said you weren't smart, you know? Uh, and he's like, you know what they call Ward A? He goes, they call it the snake pit. Um, and then he goes, here, I want to take you down to another area. And they continue on their tour. 
as they're continuing on the tour, Gordon stops in one of the wards and he looks down the hallway and it is the opening shot of the movie, the creepy chair. Yeah. And he's kind of like in a daze. And this is when it gets creepy for a moment. The, the light kind of goes away, like almost like a shadow covers his face. And then he hears a voice and the voice goes, hello, Gordon. It's like a recording. Yes. And yes. So that's going to be the first of the, of the, the voices that we hear. We, and guys and gals, you heard our disclaimer, so you know that you. I, we know that you've already seen the movie, right? At this point, so that's Simon's voice. I love how it sounds the same as the other voices on the the spool. It's got this weird electronicness to it that it's not quite. You know, it's not like so uh, has such high quality to it. There's something like got an electric, but it's great. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And again, when you rewatch the whole thing, it, this movie. You absolutely have to watch it twice because you get the full picture on the second viewing, and yeah, it's so good. I like that that the voice in his head has that same like augmented sound that the other audio tapes have. Yeah, it's like um, like warped. Yeah, basically. There you go. Yeah, because yeah, it's actually on physical tape, and it's you know old and it's been around. Yeah, and Gordon's face is like, what the fuck? It was yeah. that sound, and he gets startled by Phil. Phil like snaps him out of it. He's like, hey, Phil, or Phil's like, Gordo, come on. And he's like, you okay? And they and He's like, yeah, I'm fine, you know. And they they continue on. Mm. So that so we know now, having watched it twice, that at this point, Gordon is the weak and the wounded. Yes, oh, that's right. God. So now they go into the tunnels of this place, and uh, along the way, Gordon's pointing out all the things that need to be done, how much damage there is to this whole place, how much asbestos there is to this whole place, and Griggs is kind of like taken aback, like, wow, this is more than I expected, right? And they're, like I said, they're going into the tunnels of this place. The spooky tunnels. Right. It's so creepy. Uh, so they get through the, they go through the tunnels. By the way, there's tunnels throughout this entire place. Yeah. You think about if, if you ever go to um, state capitals, there's tunnels throughout the, all the capitals to yeah. kind of lead everybody out. It's the same deal. Uh, they get to an, another place. In this. They get to the solarium. And uh, Griggs is like, I call it the carpet tone room, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's really creepy. The paint's peeling on the walls. He's like, gentlemen, Danvers Town Hall reclaiming the dark past to build a brighter future. Something like that. He's like, uh, Phil says it's a crocodite. And and, um, Griggs is like, crocodite what? And Gordon says, yeah, it's the worst kind. There's this like decaying, friable, like asbestos everywhere. And... Gordon says, well, if I were you, Bill, I would, Griggs, I would seal off this whole area, you know, talks about all the things he would do because it's just like over the top, too much asbestos. And if you guys are not familiar with asbestos, it's, you don't want it in your body at all. No, no. And, 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 you know, um, uh, Hank, Hank, Henry, Hank Henry. Yes. He gives a great example. Yeah. Hank, yeah. But real quick, they they keep calling Hank Henry also. Like and but then he's billed as Hank and I was wondering if like his last name was Hank Henry or you know well, but they Henry call... Hank is like a slang for Henry. Oh really? Yeah, you never oh. heard that? Henry no, and Hank. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the huh. more you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so Griggs kind of cuts to the chase. He's like, Look, I gotta be in this has gotta be done by Columbus Day. I'm getting the sense that that's like a couple weeks from now. And uh Gordon's like, Well, 
with everything that we've seen, it's going to take and Phil interrupts and he goes three weeks minimum. And then Gordon says two, we can do it in two weeks. And Griggs is like, well, what's it going to be? Two or three. And Gordon's like two weeks. And I like how Greg, I like how Griggs is like, well, he, and he kind of looks at Phil and he's like, well, he's the captain, right? You know, like, you know, and Gordon's like, you better believe it. It's like, it's, very, it's a cool, it's awkward moment. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go too far, but it's got this little twinge of awkwardness to it. And you're like, something's, there's this team that you can tell that they've known each other for a while. Uh, Phil and Gordon, there's a little, something's happening. There's something going on right here. It goes long enough for them to walk off. Phil's behind both of them, and Phil gives Gordon a look of just, like, disgust. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. Like, here we go again kind of thing, right? Um, they're, they're walking out, and Gordon points out graffiti. And this is funny because Griggs is like, oh, yeah, these little motherfuckers come in here. They get high, boot, boot skag, shoot guns. I'm like, what the fuck is boot skag? <laughs> it's like an old phrase or something. I don't know. And then Gordon's like, shoot guns at what? And uh, Griggs is like, well, hopefully each other. And Phil points out another room. And he's like, what's this? And they go into one of the seclusion rooms. Um, This is where patients go. It's some sort of therapy. And on the walls of these rooms are like supposed to be i would i call them um vision boards of the 1970s because it's like things to keep you positively positive positive and motivated yeah um however there's like sayings on some of these walls one says someday someday it's going to dawn on you uh there's another image of like people in a coffin and it says night people at the top yeah i saw that i like that 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 was freaky and uh, Griggs is like, you know, these places are supposed to help with their self-esteem, help them feel good. And he's like, but it's creepy, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, they go outside and Griggs is talking to both of them. He's like, hey, you know, you guys want to check out the cemetery? There's like 750 bodies buried there. It's <laughs> like, and then suddenly Phil says, sorry, uh, sorry I left my bag inside. I got to go get it. Right. And what, that's a funny moment because I'm like, dude, you dropped your bag. You're going to go back in there by yourself? Yeah. No. And it's also a moment that kind of doesn't really play out the way you think it's going to. Because I was like, okay, roll my eyes. It's like something spooky's going to happen to him while Phil's getting his bag. And it doesn't really play out that way. No, no. But it, it gives Griggs a moment with Gordon or Gordon a moment with Griggs to convince him why he, they need this job. You get the sense that, that Griggs and Gordon have known each other for a while because Griggs is familiar with the fact that Gordon is a new dad and he's asking about the new baby, Emma, uh, and he's showing them pictures. And then Gordon's like, look, I'll match Yankees bid. Um, and then Gordon's like, well, that's not normally how we do things. And and he's like, the deadline's Friday and you got to fill in the paperwork. And Gordon's like, I know, I know, I know. But look, one week. I'll do it in one week. I got four good guys and I'll hire another guy one week and we're gone. And then I'm watching this going, wait a minute. He just told me it would take two weeks. Phil said it would take three weeks. Yeah. And now they're saying they're doing it in one week. And Gordon's like, look, I need this job. I need this job. I really need this job. And you get, and you get a close up shot of Gordon's face and he just looks so what's the word desperate. Yeah, absolutely desperate. But he's also, crushing it as an actor right now totally they get the job they don't say they get the job but they get the job right from there 
I mean, how, camera, did you, how can you turn it down? I mean, how can how could Grig say no? He's not going to say no to this guy, especially no. after being as convincing. Cut to the next scene. Phil is in his van at home. He sees his wife, Wendy, out on the grass holding the baby and the dog's barking. And he lives on clearly like the, the busiest street around because he's like across the street and there's constant traffic like going by at like 35 miles an hour. Going like, back and forth. Yeah, I was like, yeah. damn. I was like, I would not buy a house right there. It's a weird layout too when I'm about to describe what what when his wife goes in the house because she smiles at him. He smiles back at her. She goes into the house and you see the kitchen is like in the front in plain view in the front door. Right. Like yeah. the door opens and they're in the kitchen. It's like, right there. Weird layout. And on the stove, uh, there's a stove right in front of them. And on the stove is a big pot of boiling water. Yep. Just note that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Phil grabs his bag from the van, gets out of the van. Did you notice that in the bag is that uh, Jiffy peanut butter uh, is in the bag? Yep. 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 In the bag, there is a box of Oreos, Jiffy peanut butter, roses. Yep. All things that we will see later. Yes. And you hear a woman who probably is Wendy saying, roses? They're lovely, Gordon. Right after she says that, you hear uh, like cars passing by, then a big scream. But the screams kind of overlap with the sound of a generator humming. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you... Um, watch it with subtitles. It just says generator coming on or generator, you know, noise. Um, but I was like, but that sounds like a scream, though. And yeah, I think that's kind that, of that's overlap. good sound mixing right there. I like that a lot. Yeah, this movie has great sound mixing. It does. It, it has a great score too, by the way. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, and then from there, you get the first kind of plastered. Um, What'd you call it again? The, the label maker. Oh, yeah, the label maker. Yeah. Label maker that says Monday. Oh, and I love that, by the way. I love when movies tell you what day it is. It kind of gives this, like, ticking clock feel to it. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, because, again, they've got – I'm not including the weekend. I'm saying they got five days to do this job. Okay, okay. One week, right? And from there, we're introduced to Hank. He's got his, uh, uh, gas, his uh, hazmat mask on. And he yells out, you know, Jenny is up and running, sir. And like uh, salutes them. And Gordon's like, take your mask off. And he's like, we're the level safe. And Phil just yells at him. He's like, take it off, dickhead. Because yeah, he can't hear him because it's all muffled and shit, you know. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they don't have their, like him and Phil don't have their masks on right there, you know. It's they almost like, like Hank is being a little bit overzealous in his, you know, what he's doing. But you also get the sense that he probably knows better. He's just kind of pushing buttons. Yeah, and he pushes a lot of buttons. That's what he does. And he also uh, they, steals girlfriends. <laughs> right. Um, they are in a they're in a sealed off portion of the hospital and it's all taped off on the ground, taped up on the walls. It's it's almost like a clean room in yeah. a sense of where they're at. And uh, Gordon says to to Hank, he's like, I want you to go into the tunnels and hang up those glove bags. Uh, we'll find out what those are later. Tag those ducks we looked at this morning. Uh, and use the green slime. And Hank's like, you mean red, right? Those ducks are hazardous, Gordo. And Gordon's like, what? And Hank's like, red, right? And Gordon says, yeah, red. And all that's, impor- all that's important because Gordon is, is supposed to be, and you even find out later that he's supposed to be this super zen, calm guy, but things are just cracking. You can tell he's cracking. Look, someone said that once about me. They're like, you're so zen. You're so chill. We all have our moments. What? <laughs> Hello, Zach. Zach. <laughs> did you 
Did you hear something? I thought I heard something. Run, Kristen, run. <laughs> what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, <clears throat> so from there, he, Hank's like, okay, well, yeah, whatever. And then he walks over to Phil. He's like, hey, Phil, Amy says hi. And then Phil's like, keep it up, dickhead. And Hank says, look, don't shoot the messenger, Phil. I'm just relaying information. She says to me this morning while we're laying in bed to say hi to you. <laughs> Phil's like, keep it up. And Gordon says, or Hank says, yeah, I got it. I got it up. That's the problem, right? <laughs> Dude, I mean. Uh, tension, uh, tension, tension, tension. And, and this movie does such a great job that other movies try to do. And this, they handle it so well where they give you this sense that there's so much history between these, that this group of people, they work together, they're friends, they're they're such a close-knit, you know, group, and yet something horrible happened, and yet they somehow survived it, meaning, uh, you know, somehow... You know, Hank and, and, and Phil can work together, even though there was this big to do. And, and Mike later's like, don't even fucking ask because it's fucking horrible. So you get the yeah. sense that there was this big drama that probably happened just, you know, relatively recently, maybe like six months ago or something. But again, this the script does such a good job of not just explaining everything to you right from the gate. Like they let you discover uh, their friendship together, but right out of the gate, you can tell that there is history and they are friends or at least they work together and they know each other really well. Yeah. Mike, Mike is kind of, Mike is kind of the conscience of this, of this film yeah. uh, who we're about to be introduced to, but he kind of gives, um, he throws out specific facts and details throughout the movie to go, Oh, okay. This sheds a little light on the, the certain issues. Yeah. Um, you, so this dude rolls in with a big old mullet, and it's Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, and, he's, and uh, God, he's so authentic looking. He's, you can see his acne and everything, and just he just looks like a his hair's all uh, what do you call it? greasy. I mean, I mean, he was 19 when they filmed it, so you know, and, and for him, like you know, watching him you know, on the documentary, I mean, he he's turned into to quite an actor. But he was like, it was such a great experience. I got to work with all these different, all these great different actors, and like learn their process. Like, I mean, he's like, holy crap. Like I'm 19 years old and I'm with all these, you know, legends or soon will be legends. And, you know, it's like, wow, what an experience that must've been. Yeah. And you know, we've talked about this on the show before, uh, often like the way people look in the eighties versus now and all cleaned up and he looks like authentic, yeah. you know, you see Perfect. pimples on his face and his hair is greasy as shit and he just looks all grimy. He looks like a legit he doesn't look all pretty boy, and and I love that. It just adds to the the realness of this movie. I, I agree with you, and I love everything about it. But I also love the fact that he's not like a piece of shit. Like he's he well, yeah, seems like he's actually a good kid too. You know, well, yeah, he's probably got like you know maybe gotten into a fight here and there, but he doesn't seem like a complete piece of crap of a person. And I like that everyone in this movie, even Hank, seems a little bit gray. He's pro Hank's probably the most you know, sort of stereotypical character. But even with him, you're like, you get his point of view. And everyone has, has, does a great job in this movie. I, I just, I can't stress it enough. Yeah. I want to point out, uh, I watched this movie, uh, the night before Halloween with, um, Dustin and his wife, Dustin, of course, from $2 late fee. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to get this under my belt. One viewing under my belt. <laughs> yeah. And he had, they never seen it. And Brendan Sexton third shows up, and the first thing Dustin says is like, oh, this guy, this douchebag, he always plays a douchebag in movies." And then by the end of the movie, he's like, "Wow, he didn't. He 
he did not go the way I thought he was going to yeah. go, which is cool because the minute you meet him, you think he's he gonna does be a look bag. like he <laughs> looks like a douchebag. He's like, oh, how long? So Jeff rolls into like the main, I want to call, it looks like a mess hall. It's like yeah. a big open hall area. Yeah. And he's with Mike and he's like, yo, dude, well, how long you been working with my uncle Gordon? Mike's like, I've been five whole years. Oh, yeah. And if we didn't say it, uh, Jeff is Gordon's nephew. Yeah. Jeff is Gordon's nephew. Yep. And, um, and, and Jeff's got this big boom box and he puts, sets it up on the table. <laughs> and Mike's like, well, uh, and, and Jeff's like, was he a slave driver or what? And Mike's like, well, and Mike is like very chill. He's yeah. the Zen one so mm-hmm. far. And he's like, well, Gordon's a very reasonable man. I'm a slave driver. I got a couple of rules. Safety first. Get the job done. Second, uh, no drugs on the job, dude. dude. And then Jeff plugs in his boombox and cranks up some like death metal music, right? And he's like getting all pumped up, like, woohoo, this is going to be great. And then Hank walks in and he's like, what the hell is that? And, is this uh, what he says? They call it Jeff? Is that when Mike says they call it Jeff? Yeah. And <laughs> Hank goes, is this the new guy? And Mike's like, yeah, they call it Jeff. It's Gordon's <laughs> nephew. That was great. And then Hank walks over and to 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 Jeff and he's like, he's like, didn't they tell you about these? And Jeff's like, what? He's like, he's pointing at the boombox. He's like, you can't use these. Jeff's like, why not? He's like, rule one, music creates sonic vibrations. Vibrations jiggle spooge dust into the air. Gets into the air, it gets into your lungs. This is the kind of music you plan on listening to here, buddy? And Jeff's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. Well, you're trying to kill us all. Put it away or play something else, man, like Yanni or John Tesh or something, all right? <laughs> John Tesh or Yanni. I love it. Jeff. Jeff's like, who's Yanni? Yeah, who's Yanni? <laughs> and right? I would say I would say to Jeff, go listen to Adam and John reviewed Yanni live at the Necropolis. Uh, for <laughs> Acropolis, the, whatever. not Necropolis. <laughs> for the Blast from Our Past podcast. And, I mean, I listened to the episode. Great episode, but I don't know if I'm sold on, on the greatness of, of Yanni. But if you guys want to know more about Yanni, go check out the Blast from Our Past podcast. <laughs> Do it, Corey. <laughs> no, I already did it, Simon. I already listened. Go tell Zach to do it. Do it, Zach. Did you hear something? <laughs> so and weird. As you slowly go down and start listening to the Blast from Our Past. <laughs> Put on some John Tesh. So, yeah, from there, Hank's like, I'm going down deep into the, the, the tunnels, right? Uh, Hank makes his way into the tunnels, and then from there you cut to lunchtime, and Gordon's uh, sitting in the back, like sunning himself, and Hank is Hank's all excited. Hank's like the cocky guy. He's like, looks like Gordon landed us the perfect gig. Next time someone says what we do is crazy, you just say, yeah, well, we work in an insane asylum, <laughs> and it feels like you might actually want to be grateful, my man. You're about to make some decent money. And Hank's like, yeah, what, like five bucks an hour? And Phil goes, well, you didn't tell him? And Gordon's like, no, you tell him. And Phil goes, okay, $10,000 bonus. Gordon arranged it with the town. And Phil, and Nick, Hank's like, what's the catch? He's like, we got to finish by the 13th. Hank's like, the 13th? As in like this Monday? Come on, Gordo, you know this is at least a two-week job. And Phil's like, yeah, so we're going to work our asses off. Uh, Hank goes, so what is that, like 10 Gs each? But he doesn't really answer them. I, that's what I was going to say. We don't actually know. I actually kind of wanted to know, was it going to be 10 Gs a piece or is it 10 Gs split between them? You know, I was I, I was actually ju- curious myself. 
I'm curious too. I'm going to say it's 10 G's total. That's kind of what I was saying, thinking too, because I think if it was 10 G's a piece, he would have said 10 G's a piece. I think yeah. it's 10 G's that's in a pot and they all can just kind of draw from it. Yeah. And, and Phil's response is, if you don't like it, Henry, I'll give you a ride to the airport right now. And Gordon's like, let it go, Phil. And Hank's like, oh, you're going to drive me to the airport? What about Amy? You're going to take Amy to the airport? She likes to travel. And Phil's like, I know she likes to travel. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I know. Don't fuck with me. Uh, guard shows up with his keys for the gate. I love this scene, by the way, this lunchtime scene. Uh, and guard and the guard says, you know, 15 years really does a number on the place. You know, it's hard to believe there used to be over 20, 2,400 patients here at one point. And Jeff goes, why'd they close this place down? And the guard's like, Nearly all these places got closed down in the 80s. You know, the budget cuts. Feds called it deinstitutionalization. And Jeff's like, so they just dumped the people on the street? And the guard says, some. Some went to, like, home care-type programs. And Hank goes, so the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up, dude. He's like a douchebag. He's the douchebag from the get-go. You're like, ooh, you're just annoying. You're the guy that got brought on. No wonder you got fired or let go before. But there's a certain charm to him that I kind of enjoy. I don't know. For us, there is. But can you imagine working with this fuck with like, you know? Well, you know what? If I was Jeff and Jeff's age, I probably would have thought that guy was cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) As Phil, Phil, I would have been like, you fucking bring this guy on who stole my girlfriend? (laughs) Fuck you, Gordo. So so Mike all of a sudden chimes in. He's like, well, it wasn't just the budget cuts, you know? And then Hank's like, well, what was it? Mike goes, the Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. And then the guard's like, I don't recall that. And Mike goes, Patricia Willard, she was committed here in the 1970s by her parents. Manic depression, that sort of thing. Typical adolescent crap. But in the 1980s, there was this new kind of therapy that took off. Repressed memory therapy. And then as he starts talking about this story, which I will continue with, you quickly cut to Gordon, who's looking at his phone, and he's looking at the home, like he's going to dial home, right? Right. And by the way, the story that you're about to tell is a take on the book Michelle Remembers. Cool. Yeah, so Mike says repressed memory therapy. See, the shrinks figured that with these new techniques they designed, they could release hidden memories of traumatic events. So Patricia, with the help of her doctors, recalls that when she was 10, her father raped her. But not once, right? No, he'd do it three times a week. And he didn't just rape her. He came into her room at night wearing a black robe. He'd take her and drive her to a wooded area where her grandparents and her mother were. And as he's saying this, you cut to different spots in the hospital, overturned chairs, random toys scattered throughout the hospital, bees outside, spiders. He continues his story. Talking about the robes the grandparents were wearing. They'd take them off and group orgies would ensue. And then they would bring out the newborn. She was forced to watch as her mother would cut this baby's heart out with a stone dagger. She'd drink the blood. Others would eat the flesh. Her grandfather and father would fuck her repeatedly. She was forced to have abortions, and they cooked the aborted fetuses. And Gordon goes, enough! (laughs) And everyone's shocked. Yeah. Like, Jeff's face is, like, terrified. So, in the book Michelle Remembers, 
through therapy, through uh, memory regression therapy, uh, all this kind of stuff, she she comes out and talks about uh, you know being raped by her father and all this kind of stuff. Her dad goes to jail. He says, uh, you know, he he like it's weird. It's really fucking weird. It's a lot of psych psychology shit. I'm not smart enough to hand to to talk about it. But what it all basically boils down to is. She faked it, or it was. I think the memories were somehow implanted by um, by the, the hypnotherapy, doctor. and yeah. it was all fake. And that's why hypnotherapy is great for um, creating new processes in your brain, but it's not good for what people thought it used to be good for, which was uncovering things. It doesn't do that. It adds things to your memory that was never there. So the whole book Michelle Remembers uh, talks about all this, and then it's not in the book that it was all fake. Like it's The book is that it was all real, and then it comes out later, and the, now the book is now discredited because it turned out that everything was fake, and the dad went to fucking jail for it. Yeah, yeah. Mike says, uh, he goes, yep, this was everywhere. Satanic ritual abuse syndrome. It's big in the 80s. Did the satanic panic. Like you said, it destroyed a lot of families. Patricia was Patricia was ready to sue hers. It was all set, ready to go to trial. And, and Jeff's like, what? <laughs> Mike's like, she dropped the suit. Why? <laughs> a physical examination she'd undergone about a year prior. Turns out she was a virgin. None of it happened. So the family countersues, they win, that, and the budget cuts, and poof. Yeah. Yeah, so and basically Jeff's, they just changed the name of it, essentially. Which makes sense, yeah. And Jeff's like, how'd you know all that stuff, man? And Mike's like, oh, my dad was a lawyer. He was on the case. And Hank's like, ah, oh, come on, Mike. Don't be so humble. His dad's a state attorney general, so you better watch your ass there, buddy. And Hank's like, or Mike goes, Hank, leave it alone. And, he was, and Hank says, you were supposed to catch the carry the torch right tufts law school and mike says hank drop it and uh and then hank goes what were you on there mike the one year plan <laughs> and so you get the sense that mike's really smart yeah he's really interested in this stuff because it's gonna lead to something coming up very soon yeah cut to uh the van and gordon and filler at the van and uh, Gordon's got a bag and he kind of kind of winces when he picks up the bag and feels like you okay he goes nah and Gordon's like yeah I'm fine I just pulled a muscle or something and uh, and Phil goes well you know Mike and I were gonna take you out uh, Saturday night to celebrate the winning bid and Gordon's like oh thanks man but you know still catching up on sleep and Phil's like baby the baby still got that ear thing and Gordon's like oh yeah and so Phil goes so look look if we don't make it to Monday and Gordon goes, no, we'll make it to Monday. He's like, no, but look, if we don't, I got, I ran into Craig McManus on Saturday night. I oh, Craig McManus, job. baby. <laughs> Craig McManus. He's like, he would leave Yankee and work for us in a second. And Gordon's like, Phil, your job here is to keep things on track and to eliminate obstacles. And Phil's like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to eliminate an obstacle. And Gordon's like, Jesus, man, we're talking about Hank here. Listen. If he was a liability, i let you sack him. As it happens, he's not. And Phil's like, I don't agree. And Gordon goes, I don't care. Let's finish the deacon, decon chamber. Jesus, Phil. And Phil's like, fine, fine. But then again, Gordon walks off. Phil looks pissed as shit. From there, you cut to Hank in the tunnels, spraying the red spray on the walls. 
Yeah, uh, so apparently that. Uh, that you spray that because um, asbestos is only dangerous when it's dry because that's when it gets in the air. So you spray that red stuff um, to kind of make it wet and, and keep it down, essentially. I think he's just spraying a little bit, saying we're going to have to go back in and spray more, essentially. but Marking no. it. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. He's spraying the spooge in the tunnels. Jeff and Mike are in the, I'm going to call it the dining room, the dining yeah. hall. Yeah. Right. And then he, uh, Mike's teaching Jeff how to use this like tile remover machine where you sit on it. And yeah. It's like a, almost like a lawnmower and you just, you know, pulls, pulls up the tiles. Right. It's almost like this in between a riding lawnmower and a Zam. Wait, what are those things that clean the Zamboni? ice? Zamboni. Yeah. It's yeah. like in between that size wise, you know, it's not, that's not, it's not too big, but it's also bigger than a lawn lawnmower. It's like the sitting lawnmowers. Yeah. The, yeah. A little bit bigger than that. And uh, it's funny because he's teaching him Jeff how to use it and he's like not doing it right. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, come on, left turn, right turn and get it straight. And, and just like uh, Mike's, you got to bring the nose down. He's and, and he's like, don't look at me. Look at, <laughs> he's like, what are you, a lobotomy case? And Jeff's like, fuck you, man. I got it. Yeah. He's it's like, a, turn around. It's Jesus. a great exchange. It's a good exchange. I, I it's like really it. It feels funny. natural. It feels natural. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, the whole thing, right? And then from right at that point, suddenly the power goes out on the machine. And, uh, and Jeff's like, that wasn't me, man. And Mike's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jeff's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> it's like back and forth. And Mike goes to see where the power went out. He's like, I got to go check the breaker box. Or no, he tells Jeff, he's like, go check the breaker box down in the down in the basement. And Jeff's like, I can't do that. And Mike goes, why? He's like, I got nyctophobia. Mike's like, what? Fear of the dark. Mike goes, okay, fine, I'll go check it. Just try not to break anything, okay, mullethead? <laughs> and, and apparently that's the director actually has nyctophobia. That's, it was kind of really? like, yeah, he wrote it into that, yeah. Interesting. Well, it's a great exchange, and it's it's a cool, it's a human moment for Jeff. It's yeah. the moment in the movie when you realize, okay, you feel a little bad for Jeff, because Jeff's like, thanks, man, like he's really humble about it. Right? Yeah, and it, and of course lays the groundwork for some some scary shit later, and, and how Jeff is going to react to it. But you're right, it is the moment where you're like, okay, Jeff isn't like, he's not going to be a one-note character. No, everybody's multi-layered in this. Yeah, yeah. So Mike heads into the basement, and he and he checks the power plug. He che- like the, there's like a mini generator in the basement that's attached, and all the all the machines are attached to it. Uh, looks like the cord to the machine got dislodged, so he pops it back in. Right yeah. when he pops it back in, a light behind him goes on. That light is connected to a room, the, like the records room. Mike, where's the records the, room? <laughs> where the, where the, there's the records room. I don't know if Fletch would want to go there. He might need more than a glass of hot fat and bring in bringing the head of Alfredo Garcia. Nurse, I'm hyperventilating. Uh, can you bring me a glass of hot fat and bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia? <laughs> oh God, we may do uh, Fletch one day in our future oh, just Jesus. to do it because we. You both can. Love. I know I'll it'll be me if, it. if I have to break it down. It'll be me. Goddamn. <laughs> I love. Um, <clears throat> maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll tag team it. So, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. So the light goes on in the records room, and uh, for Doctor Rosen penis. <laughs> Doctor <And> Rosen Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Rosen, um, come again. <laughs> come again. And, <laughs> And so uh, when the he follows the light and he goes into this room and there's records everywhere. Right. Uh, And suddenly he the he's he's looking around and this the light 
by this one big box that goes dim and then it goes and then it glows back on again. And Mike's kind of his eyes see the box. He pulls the box down and he opens the box up at the same time. He's opening the box up. You cut to like Gordon who's cut his finger yeah. uh, on his, on his razor Hank's getting spooge dust in his eye yeah. all at the same time. You hear like China, like, uh, like glass breaking and screaming. It's, it's almost as if they're like trying to show that like he is opening Pandora's box. Totally. Yeah. So sorry, there was a fucking moth. It like almost flew in my mouth. Good Lord. <laughs> Good God. Hello, Corey. Sorry, I didn't mean to break uh, away from the story. It just, I thought I heard something. Yeah, no, it's coming, it's coming through my headphones. Weird. So weird. Are, are you guys, uh, guys and gals out there, are you, are you hearing that? What is that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I thought I heard something, but I don't know, maybe. Uh, anyways. Hello, guys and gals. I didn't hear that. But hmm. I thought hmm. I heard something. That's so weird. Interesting. Interesting. Anyways, um, yeah, so opens up the box, and then the, the screaming Pandora's box has now been opened, right? We don't know what it is just yet, but from there you cut to outside. Everyone's getting set to go home. Phil is talking to Gordon. He's like, you know, good first day. And then he says, look, Mike needs another hour. The Jenny's carburetor is acting up the generator. And uh, Gordon's like, okay, but look, I don't want anybody here after dark. Phil's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. They all get ready to leave. Cut to Mike adjusting the generator. He goes back into the records room and he's trying to play these real to real audio tapes. Yeah. And as he's doing that, suddenly it comes to life. And he's looking at the tapes, and the tapes are labeled Session One, Mary Hobbs. Alter egos, alters, Princess Billy Simon. And the tapes come on. You hear this doctor's voice, and you hear someone kind of crying in the background. And the doctor says, I know this is difficult, Mary, and that's why we're here to help you, okay? And then Mary chimes in, and she's crying. I miss him so much. And then the doctor says, Mary, I want you to try to remember what happened 22 years ago on Christmas night in Lowell. Like in this Ooh. voice kind of, the the tape, like it's warped right it's, there. It's whatever they do with the like the augmenting of the voice, you know, and yeah, it's supposed to represent the tape kind of not being perfect or whatever. It's, it's perfect. The sound editing perfect. because it's, it's not overdone. You know what I mean? It's, it's just barely there and it creates this weird eerie sound effect, but it never, it never overstays its welcome. You know what I mean? Like the effect never overstays its welcome and it just adds this layer to it. And then especially with the fact that they put the Simon voice, even when you don't hear it coming from, like when you hear it like in Gordon's head, they give it the same process. They, they put it through the same process that's on the tape. So it creates this connection that you have to the tape. But at the same time, it's just so expertly crafted. It's just so well done. Everything yeah. about this movie Everything about this movie is subtle. They, they all all the the machinations that it works with, it's all subtle and you know, there obviously would be big moments and everything, but it's really layered and it's really really subtle and very well done. It, it really is. It really is and I've never heard anything I've never heard anything since that sounds as accurate as this does. Yeah, like, cuz you, you usually 
the the filmmaker like will will overly do the the augmenting or something. Yes. This is just everything they do here is just subtle. Just sprinkle a little creepiness on it, you know? Just a little bit. Just a little creepiness. So the doctor's talking to Mary and he's like, you know, we have these sessions to help you remember so you can get better, okay? And Mary's like starts crying and then the doctor kind of he gets a little quieter and he's like patient is showing extreme agitation she's putting her fingers in her mouth mary mary and then a little girl's voice comes on and she says will you share a doll mr doctor and then you see mike listening the whole time and mike's eyes get big like what the fuck and the little girl voice says mary got a china doll for her from her mommy and we can't find it now. And the doctor says, I haven't seen it. And then now we know this is Princess. And she goes, Billy silly. And the doctor says, Princess, tell me what happened on Christmas 22 years ago in Lowell. And Princess says, Mary got a pretty china doll. And Peter got a big old knife. Mary's mommy and daddy went to sleep. And then we played upstairs. Peter turned off the lights and hid. And Mary tried to find him. Who played upstairs, princess? And as this is going on, you cut to the chair in the hallway from the beginning, right? And then you cut to Jeff taking a shower at home. And then you cut to Hank getting yelled at, probably from Amy sitting on the couch watching TV. Yeah. Then you cut to Phil at a bar, getting drunk. And then you cut back to Mike, listening to the tapes. And then you cut to Gordon in his van, looking at his house, kind of like how he was earlier in the movie. And now instead of his wife and kid and dog on the grass in the daytime, it's raining and the shades are pulled down on the main window of the home. Man, rewatching this a second time, like all the pieces just come into place and you're just like, oh. Ugh. so creepy and and you cut back to the doctor and the doctor says who played upstairs princess and princess says peter and me and billy silly and the doctor says well, what happened next billy only tells me nice things mr doctor like i'm pretty was simon there that night oh i don't know any simon and the doctor says Tell me about Simon. And the princess says, I'm tired, Mr. Doctor. Would Simon like to talk now? And princess says, Billy's asleep, Mr. Doctor. And then right at the same time, you cut back to Gordon, who's in the van, and he's got a stain on his leg and his pants, and he's like screaming in pain. Yeah. And then from there, you hear Gordon like kind of breathing heavy because he's just like something's under his under the pant leg but you don't know what it is just yet i love that i love the mystery and then from there you cut to tuesday ah love it hey everybody Corey here i just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean? Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays, and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, 
comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Overhead shot of the hospital. Everyone's working in various parts of the hospital. Gordon's looking out the window from his area where he's working, and he's looking at the gazebo outside, which leads to somewhere, and we'll find out what that somewhere is in just a moment. Uh, Then you hear a loud banging noise, and you see uh, Phil pointing at his, uh, like, watch, like, come on, let's get to work, right? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Gordon's looking out the window, he hears the voice because it's. I think Simon says, you can hear me. You can hear me. Yeah. That's right. And right after he says that, that's when Phil bangs on the on the wall or whatever to yeah. kind of get his attention. And kind of like, yeah, points to his wrist, you know, like, hey, we're on the, we're on the clock here, you know? Yep. And I'm glad that's- they didn't keep everybody in those hazmat suits because at this point, like when I first watched it, I couldn't tell who if that was Gordon. I couldn't tell if that was Phil. I mean, it's it's really hard to fucking tell. Yeah, I think at that point, like you know, that Gordon and Phil are all in the same. They're in the same area. Hanks in the in the in the basement uh, in the or tunnels. Something. Yeah. Jeff and Mike are in the hall. Yeah, yeah. And you cut back to Jeff and Mike, and and Jeff is saying to Mike, he's like, "Yeah, oh, the generator's all gassed up and running." And Mike's like, "Well, make sure she stays that way. I don't want her dying on us." And then he tells uh, Mike to put his mask on. He's like, put your mask on, princess. And Jeff goes, fuck you. I'm not your princess, dude. And Mike's like, what? Because so he doesn't realize that he was calling him princess because of the tapes he was listening to the night. Yeah, yeah, before. I like that. It's almost as if he's kind of like tertiarily affected, you know, or infected by, by Simon, just maybe off to the side, not as much. But yeah, it's like... it. Everyone is kind of slowly unraveling. You just you don't know to what degree or extent it is. And and now you're about to get the backstory on Phil and Hank because Jeff goes, "What's up with Phil and Hank?" And Mike's like, "What's up with Phil and Hank?" Hank stole Phil's girlfriend. It's a nightmare. You don't want to get involved. You especially don't want to get on Phil's bad side. He'll give you all the grunt work. He'll give but, you all the grunt work. But I, yeah. like, like everything in this movie, I felt like the acting and the dialogue is so natural sounding. It yeah. Mike sounds exactly how like you would explain to somebody who's new to it. It's a nightmare. You don't want to fucking get involved. And I think it was like for them as a friendship and as a working unit, it probably was one of the hardest things they all had to go through at some point, whether it was a year ago, six months ago, we don't really know. I'm thinking more about six months ago is what I'm thinking. But again, this is why I love the fact that like we enter their lives 
after this giant event. I mean, fuck, you could have made probably a whole movie about the Phil and and Hank and the you know and Amy thing. Like that could have that can be its own movie, you know? But yeah, yeah, totally. But, but totally. it's in the rear view here. It's it's in the past, and and I love that, dude. It's such a awesome groundwork to say, hey, there was history here before we watched what's happening now, you know? I, and you just got me thinking too. You know, one of my one of my all-time favorite horror films is probably the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. And there's so much setup until the third act. And then the third act hits you. And so many movies do that now where there's just like boring, boring, boring. Wolf Creek, for example, is a, is a perfect example of that where you're just like, oh, my God, this movie just – the first hour is just dragging because you really don't care that much about these people. And then the final act is when it hits you over the head. Texas Chainsaw Massacre did it so well because – there was like a really cool rapport with everybody and also the way it was shot too. This has that same vibe where there's like, there's a cool rapport with everybody and you know, the third act is going to get really intense, but this has the factor that Texas chainsaw did too. It's the location, Mm -hmm. something creepy about everything around you. There's this impending sense of doom. You yeah, know, and they capture it perfectly. They they do, uh, and and of course, and it also like it just it makes things interesting. It makes all like, you know, I've watched it twice now in in the span of like forty eight hours, and I could watch it again. It's so every scene is interesting, all the characters are interesting, and, and all the business that's happening is is very very interesting. And then it leads to this crescendo that is just fan fucking tastic. Yeah, I will say uh, it was hard actually taking notes on this movie and and extensive notes because I kept wanting to look up to see what was going on mm-hmm. when I looked down to write something because I so I was pausing it every five seconds. I'm yeah. like, oh no, I really want to see this scene again. So you cut to Hank now in the tunnels spraying this the red crap, um, and he as he's walking down the tunnels he sees a coin on the ground. He picks it up, and he's like listening to like reggae music or something. This this is important. He's listening to a CD player. Uh, and he sees another coin, maybe a few feet ahead. And he picks that one up too. And he goes, 1883, fuck yeah, <laughs> right? And he starts following this kind of trail of what appears to be like these coins. And he walks over to like a hole in the wall uh, where there's like a brick dislodged and there's other coins that he sees there. He pulls the brick out and all these coins like 20 30 40 coins pile out onto the ground and he's getting all excited because he's looking at all the coins he's like fuck yeah this is great right and you hear on his radio on his this is interesting the song he's listening to you hear like martin luther king saying free at last free at last it's just kind of ironic not mm-hmm. ironic it's just kind of fitting yeah. that this music's playing why well, he because this is this sense of like this is going to play into him thinking I'm set for life kind of thing. Because I real quick, by the way, those so those coins you assume are, are worth a lot, right? That's what that obviously that's what we're supposed to take away, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything that's in this thing. Because 1883, I gotta assume that that is really yeah. you know. And and they're like big pieces of silver, so I'm sure they're they can be melted or something. Okay. So yeah, I I mean I assume that, but I just wanted to kind of verify that this is not just it's not probably worth like, you know, fifty bucks. Like that coin might be worth like five hundred bucks or something. And yeah. so and, he's and there's, and there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them, and there's one little flaw that I'll get to in a second. So as he's pulling these coins out of the wall. Uh, you hear uh, the walkie over the walkie. Uh, Phil chimes in to Hank and and he says, "Hey, I want you up here with Jeff and Mike after lunch." And Hank's like, "Okay, yeah, I'll be right up there, right?" 
and he start, starts stuffing the coins back in the wall because he wants to uh, kind of keep it hidden, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yep. And then they pan to the other side, what's on the other side of the wall, right? And the other side of the wall is the morgue. Yeah. And those coins were coming out of the oven um, where they were cooking the bodies, basically. That's going to be important with something that happens later on because it's a little, it's the only flaw in the movie that, or a question I have to you that okay. I pose to you. Okay. From there, it's now lunchtime. Phil has lunch for everybody. They're outside by the gazebo um, that Gordon was looking at earlier. And Phil has Gordon's wallet and he throws it over to Gordon. Because he bought lunch, you know. He bought lunch, yep. Yeah. And Phil's like, where's Mike? And Jeff's like, in the equipment room. He's looking for those lost cartridges, whatever that is. And Gordon's like, Jesus, Phil, I told you I don't want anyone wandering around here by themselves. Because <laughs> he's, <laughs> I think he's Scottish. I think he yeah, is Scottish. I think so. Yeah. And uh, and then Je- and Phil's like, okay, boss, it won't happen again. And then suddenly Hank's Hank says to Phil, he's like, you got my scratch tickets. And Phil's like, yeah, I'm coming right here. I got him right here, Bubba. And uh, he goes to give him one. And Hank's like, you know, I play blackjack. Phil's like, yeah, well, here's one for you too. And, and then he gives him, he like kind of throws it at Hank. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> Hank is, Hank says, Hey, Phil, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus, man, the, the, the tension between these two. Anyways, you cut back to Mike in the records room and he's not shaking, looking for cartridges. No. He's listening now to session five of the Mary Hobbs tapes. And it's interesting because like, yeah, he's, he's the one that's like obsessed, but I feel like a lot of times in these movies, the person that gets obsessed with the thing is also the one that gets taken over. But that's, that's kind of not the case here. So it's interesting because, you know, Gordo is the one that is going to get taken over, but he doesn't actually really know anything about Simon. No, he doesn't. Yeah. I don't think at all. Yeah. It's just a, it's just like a, a, a voice in his head. Yep. He's listening to the tapes and, you know, Mary's like, I don't want to talk anymore. I'm too tired. And the doctor says, the patient is now entering a dissociative, dissociative state, rubbing her eyes, appears to be switching to an alternate personality. And uh, Jeff walkies Mike and he says it's lunchtime. And Mike's like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Goes back to the, <laughs> the tapes. And then suddenly you hear a boy's voice saying to the doctor, hello, sir. And the doctor says, hello, Billy. How have you been? Good, sir. And the doctor says, Billy, where does the princess live? And Billy says, in the tongue. And the doctor says, why the tongue? Because she's always talking, sir. And the doctor says, where do you live, Billy? I live in the eyes. You know that. Remind me, though, why the eyes? Because I see everything, sir. And the doctor says, where does Simon live, Billy? And then the tape fades out. Cuts to back to lunch, and Jeff's reading some sort of book, right? And he's like, 
Hey, what's mortified pride? It says here three <laughs> patients were committed in 1889 because of mortified pride. <laughs> no, but seriously, what is mortified pride? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, dude. And I'm sorry. I think it just blew out the mic and when I just did that. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, uh, and Phil's well, like, let me see that. Where, like, where'd you get that? And also, I, th- I think that was something that, like, they literally, f- like, so a lot of the way the hospital looks is how it looked when they got there. With like yeah, literally yeah. papers everywhere of like admission forms and stuff. And then like they just like would look down and like, you know, it's like he's like from like eighteen ninety, like I think it was uh, uh Lucas was saying, like he's like I look down like eighteen nineties, like some girl at like age fifteen was admitted for like like outspoken behavior. It's like what the f- fuck you know what i mean it's just it's just oh, oh you, you've you spoke your mind young lady it's time to be committed and lobotomized it's my god it's 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 like the witch hunts you know a uh, hundred years prior it's like the witch hunts fucking groovy chicks just saying cool shit and white guy gotta burn them it's fucking yep. what a nightmare uh uh, uh the, the the male society has created <laughs> Yeah, I got in this discussion with somebody uh, actually today about the fact uh, that I was explaining to my son Bodhi about A.D. and B.C. the other day, you know, after uh, before Christ and after death. And I started thinking about it. The whole world goes by this Gregorian clock or whatever it is. The whole world basically acknowledges a Christ like figure, which was. You know, I'm not going to get into a whole discussion about religion, but like that's that's a white Christian created thing. Yeah. Wait a minute. Like it just doesn't sit well with me. You know, this, the time the time we have in this world is all white man created, basically. That, yep. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, Phil's like, where'd you get that? You know, and, and you know, Jeff doesn't really tell him where you got it, but figured, yeah, you've got it from looking around at shit just like it's fucking intense some of this shit and uh and mike finally shows up and gordon's like hey mike you know when when phil calls lunch it means lunch and mike's like sorry no cartridges i gotta go pick up some of grossman's like kind of dismisses what gordon said and jeff's like uh, or phil goes listen to this 17 were committed due to disappointed expectations (laughs) henry they're talking about you they would have committed your ass back then and jeff's like hey what do you have to do now to get committed? Mortify someone's pride? <laughs> That's funny, man. I, it's honestly, funny. It's it's funny in in the in how realistic I think you know Jeff is sort of portraying the character. I love it. Oh, it's it. so good, it's, dude. It's, it's such funny. a great moment. I love it. Yeah, and Hank's like simple. You kill someone. Jesus. And Gordon goes, Nah, that won't get you committed, but it'll get you in jail. And feels like if you get caught. And Hank says, John Hinckley, temporary insanity. He's not in jail. He's in a nut house. Right, Mike? And Mike's like, that defense never works. Most people are most people are cognizant of their actions when they murder. Homicide implies a motive. <laughs> Hank's like, oh God, Mike. How did you fail law school? You're good. <laughs> and Jeff's like, yeah, what are you, dude? A lobotomy case? And then it's like gurgling on his yogurt or something. He's like, Bleh. it's it's his miso soup. I, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, because okay. I was I was curious as to what they were eating, and then Hank's eating Chinese or like so. I was like, okay, I think it's the miso soup. Yeah, but he's like, why he starts drooling again? I, fucking, I, I love it. I I want to work on a crew with Jeff just to kind of like fuck with him like everybody else does, you know? Yeah, yeah, because he this is where he gets really 
fucked with. with. So Mike grabs Jeff at this moment and he takes a chopstick in one hand and he's got him in a chokehold in the other and he puts the chopstick right up to Jeff's eye and Gordon's like, Mike, Mike. And he's like, come on, Gordon. I'm just fucking around. Like, chill out. And Mike still has Jeff in this hold and with the chopstick by his eye and he goes, the ice pick method. Insert a thin metal pipette into the orbital frontal cortex and enter the soft tissue of the frontal lobe. Few simple smooth up and down jerks to sever the lateral hypothalamus, all resulting in a rapid reduction of stress for our little patient here. Total time elapsed, two minutes. Only side effect, black eye. Recommended treatment, sunglasses. Just like Hank is going to be wearing later. Noted. Don't forget that. <clears throat> oh, God. So, Again, guys and gals, this movie's awesome. It's even brilliant. better on a second viewing. It's terrifying on a first viewing. It's it's even better on a second viewing, and, and then it still lingers. This movie is awesome. Yeah, what, what in many ways, and we'll, we may repeat this at the end, but in many ways what keeps this film back for repeated viewings is the quality overall. Yeah. It's yeah. a really well-made film yeah. across the board. And, and the uh, acting is just outstanding. And in, speaking of which, Hank starts clapping. He's like, brilliant, brilliant, yay, you know, and feels like, all right, all right, let's get back to work. And then you know, Jeff kind of runs off scared because he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Terrified. And I notice also on, on the second viewing, they, they try, they're they playing with some some things like, you, is is Mike losing his mind? Is, you know, and then later on they have the red hair and you, they try to build up that Phil is, is, is bad and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. And I do like these little things of throwing in the red herring, but yeah, Mike's not coming unraveled at all he was just kind of just sick of jeff's shit <laughs> well and up to this point so far nobody's bad yeah everybody's yeah. just doing their job and it's it's tuesday well right? gordo's bad because he's already killed his wife and kid but we don't know that yet. right yeah no we don't know that yet but he technically is <laughs> but, but but we but we don't know that yet uh, so Sim- simon knows it do it zach <laughs> No, Kristen Rod. Did you hear something? Oh, anyways. Um, so yeah, cut back. Now we're in the dining hall, the big dining hall again, and Jeff, Hank, and Mike are in there. Uh, Jeff and Hank are pushing that big. We'll call it the tile mower machine. Yeah, um, <laughs> good one. Tile mower Zamboni. Zamboni. <laughs> tile, tile mower Boni. Um, and Hank's like, "How was it?" How? He's talking to Mike. He's like, "I wasn't kidding back there, man. You're you're smarter than this crap job. You should be using your head, buddy." And Mike's like, "Yeah, well, I got to get a part from Gordon's van. Make sure Mullethead here knows how to operate that thing." And Mike walks off. And and I know it's a throwaway line. I know it's nothing. But Hank's saying that. To Mike, that is kind of where I latch my my hat on the fact that he's not just always an asshole. You know what I mean? Like that. That was I was like, look, he actually, I do believe he maybe actually cares about Mike. And like, Mike, what are you doing, man? Like, you're you're better than us. Go go do your thing over here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. He he's he like recognizes he recognizes talent. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Uh. And so Hank's, but then Hank stops Mike. He's like, hey, man, don't forget this, and he gives him his walkie-talkie which is important, right? Uh, and then so Hank, Mike walks off and Hank goes to Jeff. He's like, you know how to ride a lawnmower? And Jeff's like, yeah. He's like, then you're golden. It should have been, you know how to ride a thing. Zamboni? You're golden. Yeah, Zamboni. <laughs> he's like, so he's like, just push it in that midsection over there and just start over there, okay? I'm going to take a smoke break. Jeff's like, we just had a break. And then suddenly Hank walks over after giving Jeff the whole speech about not 
listening to certain music at certain decibels, walks over to the boom box that Jeff brought in and cranks up this, you know, song called soul ecstasy and, and starts like dancing to it and like shaking his ass. And then he turns it down right away, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, and, but like the minute, minute he did that, I'm like, wait, you're not supposed to turn the music up. But it's gonna get spooch dust. Like you don't give I, a shit. I almost took it as like he just didn't want to listen to Jeff's music, so he kind oh, yeah. of, you know, told him all that bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he says to Jeff, he's like, "You know what a whale is?" And like Jeff's like, "Yeah, I know what a whale is." Hank's like, "No, a whale's a big time gambler. I got this buddy, right? He deals out in Foxwoods, twelve hours, and this whale has the house down three hundred grand, right? As this guy's leaving, takes his car keys and drops them in my friend's pocket." You know what they're for? And Jeff goes, what? Porsche 911. It's true, man. That was the tip. Fucking tip. Jeff's like, well, what's your point? Hank's like, just have an exit plan, dude. If you stick with this job too long, it'll mess you up big time. It gets inside you, the stress. You see, already, and he breaks off a piece of tile and, uh, and shows it to Jeff. He's like, already, an itty-bitty piece of this shit may have gotten into your lungs, man. It incubates in your lungs. Tissues begin to grow around it like a like a pearl, like a time bomb. Time you hit 30, boom! You're drowning in your own lung fluid. Ugh. Look at you. You're not even wearing your mask now. And Jeff like puts his mask on and then he pulls it down. He's like, Well, hey, where's your mask? And Hank's like, Me? Nah. I've learned to sublimate my fear. Cause I got a fucking exit plan, man. I have a way of dealing with the stress. You think Mikey reads all those books for fun? Nah, man. He's got an exit plan. Let me tell you. If stress gets too intense on this job, he'll bolt. He's going to go back and finish law school. And it cuts to Mike in Gordon's van getting parts from there. And you, the, the camera pans through the van and you see red paint spilled over flowers. Wink, yep. wink. The, the flowers that we know that he was going to bring in to give to, his, to Wendy. Yep. Hank's continuing but talking about each guy in the group. He's like, you know, then Phil, Jesus, Phil's got his stress reducer. He's got his plan. I'm sure he'll tell you about it someday. And it cuts to Phil walking around looking suspicious, like fucking looking for something. By the way, I have the exact same exit plan as Phil, which is just smoke my brains away until I die. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and then he says, and then there's Uncle Gordo. Hey, did you know if he didn't get this gig that he'd have to fold HEC? Yep. He can't even have an exit plan. Fiber has always been in his life. It was over there. It is here. Imagine that stress. Again, him saying it was over there, implying like his whatever his last job was that they all know. I like the fact that the writers didn't tell us. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. And it's probably maybe what caused... Uh, the whole Amy rift and Phil and Hank, yeah. who knows? Who knows? And he's like, let me tell you, but let me tell you something, buddy. You better hope you got some of Gordo's genes. Cause Gordo, Jesus, Gordo is the Zen master of calm. I never seen old Gordo lose it. I don't, but I don't know, man. Last few months, Gordo, I'm seeing some cracks. You know, I'm worried about him. And then you cut to Gordon picking up, packing up asbestos tiles. And then Mike walks in as Mike's walking in and Hank's talking about it, Jeff's like, well, he does have the new baby and all. And Jeff and Hank goes, it should be the joy of his life, dude. Yeah. And Mike's like, Hank, when you and Amy have a kid, you'll see how hard it is. And Hank's like, me and Amy? Kid with Amy? 
Nah. I just fuck her to beat on Phil. I just fuck her to beat on Phil. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, like, as much as I just praised him for, like, being like, oh, hey, Mike, man, like, you shouldn't be here, like, actually caring about Mike. And then in the next second, he's just, like, admits that he's just fucking Phil's ex-girlfriend just to fuck Phil back. And you don't get the sense that he, like, hates Phil, but he hates Phil enough to do this, you know, but not enough to not work with him. It's it's such a weird dynamic. But that's actually, this is the moment when I kind of like Hank. Yeah. Because I'm just like, you're kind of funny, dude. <laughs> no, I know. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. He's not like, he, yes, he's deplorable. Yes, he, he's a shitty person. But he's also a a rounded character because there are people like that out there, you know, and sometimes shitty people, you you do find them funny. You do like, oh, you know, yay, maybe you're not so bad. Ah, Then they steal your girlfriend. You're like, ah, you're a piece of shit, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I used to work in an auto body shop back in the day uh, for like about a year. And um, this I did not know about, by the way. Oh, I never told you this. Oh, yeah. I worked. So I for a minute, I thought I was going to be an auto mechanic. So okay. I worked I worked at an auto mechanic place. You're way too pretty for that, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. So this uh this this auto mechanic was a friend of ours and 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 there were like uh three other businesses in this little uh strip and it was like auto body shop, two auto body shops, and then no, two auto repair shops and an auto body shop. Well the auto body shop uh totally pilfered me from the from my, my mechanic friend because they needed a, they needed a new kid and they totally wooed me you know to the point where uh, I bought a 66 Dodge Dart from the owner because it was and it was cherry and I bought it for like 800 bucks oh it wow was just, yeah it was like he's like I'll tell you what you come to work for me I'll sell it to you for 800 bucks wow like, okay totally ripped totally stole me like Craig McManus you know and uh and I'm working with this crew with these the old timers one guy he didn't wear uh, a mask when he was welding so his eyes had cataracts all over him Good his Lord. fingers were like thicker and and uh and, and like uh they, they were like rock hard like giant fingers because Jeez. of all the cuts he got and metal cuts and he's like you don't want to do this job man you do not want to do this job for the rest of your life and another guy was totally like hank like kind of like a like a weaselly kind of guy yeah. so i'd be doing i'd be bondoing a, a side panel on a truck right and he and i'd be on the ground on my knees and the guy would come over and he's like hey zach you want a milkshake and a, you want a hot dog and a milkshake and I'm like, what? He's like, I'll give it to you right now. Meaning, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do I have to explain? So, <laughs> right. And, so, and I'm like, what? Fuck you, man. You know, I was like 18 years old. Yeah. Or 19. And uh, and, and he's like, come on, man. I'll give you a hot dog and a milkshake. Haha. <laughs> and you call me sack, sack of shit, uh, nut sack. <laughs> and I got like a skin. Uh, I had a skin allergy where my skin got all blotchy. And he's like. He's like, you got taint all over your face. I'm like, what? Taint? What? They, they <laughs> fucked with me incessantly. I'm sitting around one time. They're all Vietnam vets. They're telling Vietnam stories. One guy was talking about the shit he did in Vietnam. He's like, he's like, yeah, we pull trains on on girls all the time in Vietnam. And I'm like, I don't w- want to hear this shit. You Jesus. know, these guys are fucking just wild. Yeah, wild dudes. Yeah. These are the guys like in this. I'm like, yep, those are the old timers. They just 
they you stick with the job and it goes to your head. You go crazy. Anyways, you go crazy. More on that on <laughs> Wrap Up After Dark, which you can listen to on Patreon exclusively. If you want to hear some, oh, I got some trauma stories about that place. Oh God, I didn't even know about this one, so I'm excited. Anyways, cut back to we're still in this uh, with with Hank, Mike, and Jeff, and Mike's like, "Look, I want my bonus. Get the fucking work, you know." Cut from there. Cut to Gordon taking a break, and he's at the window. And he's calling Wendy on his cell phone, allegedly. And as he's looking out the window, he sees Phil talking to two shady dudes. That's important, sort of important. And as he's talking to Wendy, he's like, Wendy, I, 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 I know, but we need to talk because we have to. And you really feel like he did, he's getting, you're getting the sense that he's having a conversation and, with Yeah, him, an actual conversation. Her. And he's like, will you let me finish? Would you? And, and like she hangs up on him, right? And I like that a lot of the conversation is filmed from the outside of the window and it's muffled so you don't actually get to hear it. Um, and I think that adds to the fact that you think he's actually talking to somebody on the other end. Exactly. That scene ends. Now well, it's nighttime. Well, okay, I will say, hold on real quick before we get into nighttime. The one thing I don't find realistic is that Phil got his his pots you know suppliers to drive up there to the to the you know the hospital like they would have been like fuck you dude come after come after work and pick it up i was like pot dealers don't work that way (laughs) i got a theory about that i got a theory about that phil is checking out the graffiti on the walls when he goes in there he's looking at all the shit and we all we know he's into drugs smoking weed or whatever and I, my theory is that he stumbled upon these dudes. Oh, really? I thought they were just yeah. his pot dealers. No, I'm thinking he stumbled upon them. Okay, and, okay. And, and randomly. And he's like, hey, you know, come back here tomorrow. i buy some weed off you guys. Okay, okay. You know what? I mean, honestly, that makes more sense in my head, but I still feel like the filmmakers, though, were just trying to say that they were his pot dealers, and it was just the easiest way to sort of do it because he's going to smoke weed later. But you know what? I, your headcanon way makes it fit better for me, so I'll I'll take that. Well, thank you. It's also funny, too. It's like <laughs> I enjoy this movie so much that I almost don't want to interrupt your, your walkthrough of it because I'm, in, I'm just enjoying, like, going along for the ride. Oh, right and, and I'm like, Thanks. oh, wait, wait, I should probably interject, like, a comment or something. <laughs> no, I mean, it, this is a really interesting movie, and I actually uh, I had dreams about this movie before I broke it down uh-huh. because I was like, not not in a bad way, but just thinking like this movie takes place in one, really only in a couple of different locations. So it's a, it's very dialogue heavy, um, but it, it's just overall describing things. So where I'm not describing things, that's where Corey's filling it in with more kind of minute details that are important, obviously, overall to the movie. So, uh, but shit, shit's about to ramp up right now. It is, it is, and I just gotta say. That Hank has fucking brass balls for wearing his headphones in there while he's, you know, listening to music while he's in there at night. And you'll you'll obviously discuss it and everything. But boy, oh boy, I would have all of my senses on high alert, you know. Yeah. So so, you know, Tuesday in the morning, Hank's in the tunnels, finds the coins, has lunch, has to work up top that night. He comes back to the hospital after hours parks his car and kind of like in the bushes to hide it. We all know why he's going back there. He's going back to get all the coins. 
get all the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the deal, guys. Like, he, I don't give a fuck who, how brave you are. If you're going to an rundown insane asylum after hours in the tunnels, that's just terrifying for anybody. He's got this little itty bitty flashlight that he's with him. And he's in the tunnels now. He's on, has, still has a CD player on. He's listening to, He's listening to jazz or some shit, and he's walking down the hallways to the the coins. Starts filling up his bag with his coins, and he's, like, looking at each thing, pulling it out. And he's like, yeah, baby needs a new pair of shoes. Let's do this. And he's like, yeah, baby gold. He pulls out a tooth. Tooth, a tooth yeah. A gold tooth. And he's like, yeah, baby gold. Like, he doesn't give a fuck that it's a, a, some dead person's tooth. Yeah, and there's, like, hair in there, too, because, I mean, these are all from the bodies, you know? These are so, all from yeah. the burned bodies in, in the incinerator, and, and I think hair sometimes, you know, kind of survives the, the burning process, I guess, And but it's just, well, it's so cool. It, I, that, I don't that's, know, man. So that's, that's my, that's that's the only, like, okay. question I have about this scene is, is there's things that have tags on them, like uh, yes. paper tags, yes. and there's hairs, and I'm like that. All that shit would have gone up in the in flames. Okay, so see, I, I took it as the hair wouldn't, but I think you're probably right. And then, but I do know what you mean because there was a ring that had a tag on it, and yes. I was like, okay, if they're trying to say that this was the incinerator, incinerator, you know, yeah, I. I I get it. That's a. I think that's a gaff. I do agree, but I do also think the hair kind of adds a freakiness to it. That air that adds a freakiness. He starts finding eyeballs, you know. Yeah, people's... like fake eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then he finds the orbital orbital spiked like pipette yeah. that was the... being referred to by Mike earlier to give the lobotomy. There, there's so much clues. There's so much like like guys lobotomy is going to be a thing like there's just so much when you rewatch it you realize, oh well they really kind of peppered that in there they sure did so he packs up his shit starts getting out of the tunnel walking down the hallways as he's walking down the hallway he spots a jar of jiff peanut butter on the ground that was in gordon's bag yep um, and he's walking down the hallway and he's looking ahead of him and he sees at the end of the entrance like a, a kind of a cage door and he sees the profile, and I'm getting goosebumps just saying it. Ugh. He sees a profile, a shadow of a guy walking past the door. Ugh. This is probably, in my opinion, one of the scariest moments in the movie. Dude, the- this was this whole scene is when I, what I was looking like. My 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 whole vision was behind uh, the the pillow. I mean, I was looking, but you know, I had the pillow in front of me, and I was terrified for this scene. So creepy. It's been set up earlier by the security guard that they've had people in the former patients come back. So you don't know who that person is. It could be a homeless person. It could be, you know, a drug dealer, drug addict. Any could be anybody. It's just creepy as shit because you don't know who it is. Yeah. And so uh, Hank gets startled and he turns around the other direction. And then he sees a bird fly in front of him like a pigeon. Gets totally, he gets the shit scared out of him by that. And he's like, come on, fucking birds. Oh, Jesus. And like kind of laughs to himself. And he turns around and starts going back down a hallway to get out of the tunnels. As he does from the opposite direction, basically the direction going towards him, you see uh, the cameras pointed that way. And it's going moving towards him. 
So something or someone is moving towards him as he's coming around the corner. So good. So yeah, you don't at first you almost don't even notice like what's happening, but yeah, his camera, he's it's 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 two POVs. It's essentially yeah. two POV shots. One of him going towards the exit sign, the other one is someone else coming towards the same corner but from the other side that he's going to. But what I love is, dude, and I know you I know you heard it, but there's like that the POV of the other person who we ought, we know is Gordon, but the POV of the other person, you hear that static, like that recorder when it's not making any, like when there's no one talking, but something's still like playing it's, it's yeah. in his head. And that's so fucking freaky, dude. So freaky. And, 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 Hank's coming closer. The other, the person on the other side's coming closer. They converge and then you hear a bam. It's like a, like a shot. And you cut to the next day. Okay, so real quick, I gotta say, so during this scene, the um, the cinematographer, her name is Uta Brizwitz. So there was a device. They they told the story on the documentary. There was a this fucking like you know, 1901 giant like contraption type of like you know thing that's that's you know like a, a dentist device it has all the 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 arms on it but it needed the big you know generator because it's so old but anyways it's a huge piece of fucking metal equipment and as josh lucas is running so he tells it so they tell the story from three points of view from his point of view Right when they were about to hit, say, action, he said he felt something pass by him. Like, he felt like an energy in the air scared the shit out of him. And there's also, by the way, everyone has reports of seeing weird shit in this hospital when they were I filming there. Like, they would see shadows, like, walk past windows, and they're like, "What? wait, what? what's going on, you know? Like, they would see shit. So, I think they were all on edge. So, he felt something go past him, sort of energizing the air. They had, they had action. He fucking books it so she's following him with the camera and she's like well shit i gotta fucking book it too so as they're running he says he ran up to this like that metal fucking device thing it's right by the door he kind of hits it he said there's no way like it should have moved but for some reason the thing he's he said and i think he's kind of in his head it's kind of probably gotten bigger than what it was but he says in his head he was like he saw it fucking just literally rotate to the side like like he didn't kind of barely touch it. But the thing is, she ran right fucking into one of the drill arms. It hit her right in the eye through the the lens uh, cap, that plastic cap. So it went right in there. It knocked her out. So she slumped over, and they were like, what the fuck just happened? And they, they took her to the hospital. She had blood running out of, like, her eye. Wow. She thought she lost her fucking eye. And and the doctor said actually there's no like damage or anything. It, it turned out to be fine. But it, but and everyone was fucking terrified. That was the only time they ever filmed in that sort of that area, that location. But essentially, she literally got hit in the exact spot where his character is going to get lobotomized later. And Jesus. it just and Jesus. but from Josh Lucas's point of view, it had more of a supernatural spin to it. Hers wasn't so much. But it's just it's. This, this, but whatever it was, this event happened and she got hurt. And they, I think at that point, they took the place more seriously moving forward. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. knowing all that actually makes that scene even scarier. Totally. Yeah. And I'll sleep really well after we're done with this. <laughs> 
Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello. La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La, la, la. And now, back to the show. Wednesday, we cut to a point-of-view shot in uh, one of the hazmat masks. I think it's Gordon. Cut uh, watching Gordon watching Phil. Then you cut to Mike and Jeff scraping tiles. And then you cut down to the tunnels where Hank was the night before. From there, you go to the rooftop. Uh, the all four remaining guys are on top of the roof kind of discussing the whereabouts of Hank. Gordon's like he's not even, you know, he 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 he's not even left his answering machine on and Jeff's like you should try Amy's. And then Gordon's like okay fine, I'll I'll, I'll try information. And Phil's like no, give me the phone. I know the number, Gordon. Give me the phone. I'll call Amy. And I'm like I immediately when even when the first time I saw this, I'm like he's not calling. This is bullshit. This is a good red herring moment of like maybe Phil's the guy who killed Hank. Okay, so so that was my biggest question about this movie. So you don't think he actually calls Amy right here? No, in the same way that Gordon was not on the phone earlier with Wendy. Okay, like he just pretended. That's okay. what I think. Okay, so, so well, well, he, well, though Gordon thinks he's on the phone with Wendy, like, but whereas Phil actively pretended. Yes, that's what I. Think. Oh, I'm sorry, not Amy, Wendy. <clears throat> uh, yeah, but you know what I meant. Gordon thinks he's on the phone with Wendy. I mean, there there is a possibility that was he was on the phone with Amy for sure, but I do think possibly he was blowing smoke. Well, because he does say that that Hank said that he's he's leaving. So that so the conversation that Amy is relaying to Phil could have happened before Hank went to back to the hospital that night. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yep. And and so he says like, uh, you know, but then he says, I'm going to Vegas or something. So yeah. Well, yeah. He, cause, cause yeah, he's like talking to Phil's talking to Amy and he's like, you know, okay, just slow down. What, how this happened? And, and then he gets off the phone with her and then he says to everybody, he's like, well, our favorite piece of shit. Hank went to Amy's last night, packed his car, Told her that he found his meal ticket and then bolted to Miami to casino school. And Jeff's like, that lucky fuck. He probably scored on a scratch or something. <laughs> and so I think that could be legit. 
Yeah, that's what. What's great is is Makes that sense. the the dialogue doesn't give us any definitive answer. And even later, you know, you take what how Phil sort of reacts, you know. But that but that reaction could have been a red herring, you know. And I like that. I like the fact that we don't actually truly know right here. Yeah, and and this is what's interesting is because we, as an audience, I think we still don't know that Gordon is totally flipped his lid right yet we no don't. we don't we and don't so gordon's so phil's like you know i warned her i fucking warned this bitch didn't i <laughs> and gordon's <laughs> like she said that he left without saying anything and 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 phil's like gordon it's hank he's totally unreliable mike call mcmanus call craig see if he's still available and gordon's like looking at the gazebo and Phil's like, look, Gordy, this is a blessing. We replace this asshole. We move forward. And we know as an audience, Phil doesn't like Hank. He wanted this to happen the whole time. And then Gordon's like, something's not right here. And then Phil's like, what's the matter? And then Phil, and Gordon turns to Phil and he's like, who are those two guys you were talking to yesterday? And Phil's like, what guys? And Gordon gets really close. He's like, he goes, I saw you. And Phil's like, what are we talking about? what is this? And Gordon goes, I'm asking you a question. What were you talking about? And then Phil's like, you know, what, wait, what, what's going on here? And Gordon suddenly goes, he's like, are you questioning my performance? And suddenly, no, no. Phil says, are you questioning my performance to Gordon? Yeah. And Phil goes, are you questioning my performance? And Gordon goes, I don't know. Should I be? And the music changes. The music tone changes. Everything gets a little darker. And Phil like disregards Gordon and says to Mike, he's like, Mike called McManus and Gordon says, don't walk away from me. And he grabs Phil violently. He's yeah. like, don't you ever walk away from me? And he's holding Phil and Phil's like, you going to hit me. And everybody's looking, looking super fucking pensive. And he lets go of Phil. He walks back into the, in, into the hospital, like to the stairs leading up to, uh, Ward A, which yeah. is where the the super crazies are. But he, when he walks in there, he sits down and he's like looking at his hands, his fingernails, and he's got a cell phone in his hands, and his fingernails are bleeding from all the hard work he's doing. Wait, you take it as they're bleeding from all the hard work he's doing. I took it as that the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, I was like, I think that's the blood on his hands from where he lobotomized Hank. Oh. But you know what? Either way, it could be either way. That's what's cool. Yeah, no, but I, I like that too. That makes okay. sense. Yeah. From there, you cut to lunch at the gazebo and Phil and Mike are together. And then Phil says, this used to be a great deal. Steady gigs, joking around, beers after work. And Mike's like, hey, look, it says here, eight were committed for uncontrolled passion. And then like, he's like totally just a, he's reading that book, you know, that Jeff had earlier and Phil's having his own monologue out loud. He's like, well, then, em- then Emma came, you know, that's why we lost the last two gigs. He's tired and he overbid. And Mike's like, he, Gordon loves being a father. And Phil goes, yeah, now he does. Now he loves it, but it was never in his heart. This was Wendy's idea. Mike's like, look, Phil, just cause you say you don't want something. It doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you don't want it. He's like, now six years ago, I didn't want to be a lawyer. Now I'm thinking, and Phil's like, whoa, whoa, wait, who the fuck are you kidding? You shuck fiber with us in here, okay? And they're like having this argument. Phil suddenly, Phil's like 
turning on Mike as well, becoming yeah. a total asshole to Mike. Yeah. And Mike just walks off because he's like, fine, fuck it, you know? Yeah. And I like, I mean, I didn't, I don't like it, but I like it in that I felt like it was a realistic response on Phil's part because Phil, he's just wrapped up in his head. And then Mike's like, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't agree with what Phil says to Mike, but I felt like it was a realistic response for Phil. And again, the second time I watched the movie, I realized, you know, that the red herring they're trying to make that Phil is is the crack, the one that's cracking and everything. Yep. And he's the one that's, you know, uh, going to be the one doing all the bad shit and everything. And so I'm like, I'm kind of watching it for for the for the Phil red herring type of thing. And I do. Th- I think they do a good job of it. But I thought this was a realistic response on Phil's end because he stops what he's saying. He's like, basically, like, fuck you, Mike. You're you're basically you're the same as us. You know what I mean? You're not better than us. You know? Yeah. And that's yeah. that's Phil's pride right there. It's Phil's pride, and here's the deal: like he just got kind of uh, embarrassed in front of mm-hmm. everybody by Gordon. Mm-hmm. He's probably already feeling shitty about that. Yeah, there's under pressure to yep. finish this job. It's already Wednesday. Who knows how much work they've gotten done? It doesn't seem like a whole lot. Um, and and so it's all these powder keg things leading up, and and so now you just see a lot of cracks overall with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except for Jeff. Jeff's kind of observing everything. Mike storms off. Uh, Phil yells at him. He's like, you got 25, like 25 minutes left on lunch. And then you cut to Gordon, who's at the bottom of the gazebo stairs, um, resting on a log, which just happens to be a log in the graveyard <laughs> of the patients. And then you cut to Mike, who has taken his break, quote unquote, in the records room. And he's looking through files and he finds Mary Hobbs file. The one of that, the one, the, the one of the woman he's been listening to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Mary Hobbs. Yeah. And it says on the file that she's deceased and her, like her, um, grave number is number four, four, four. Yeah. And I, you come, come on. I like the fact that he didn't make it number six, 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 you know, like, yeah, that's no, it's a, perf- yeah. yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. yeah. And then it cuts back to Gordon in the cemetery sitting on the log and he's talking to Wendy on his cell phone. He's like, Wendy, I want to ask you something. Can you forgive me? And you're like, what? forgive her for what? Forgive him for what? Which we'll find out in a little bit. And he's like, you know, hello, Wendy, hello. And you cut down. You realize he's sitting. He's sitting right above Mary Hobbs gravestone, number 444, which is cracked, by the yeah. way. It's cracked in half. This, by the way, is my favorite fucking acting moment in the entire oh, movie. Ditto. It's so, it's brilliant. So Jeff approaches Gordon, and he's like, "Hey, uh, he's like Gordon," and Jeff sees him. He's like, "Hey, man." He's like, "Sit down, sit down." And you can see he's like holding back tears. Dude, he's, just, he's this, so emotional the whole time. He's he's trying not to cry. It's unbelievable. And Jeff's like, "I just uh, I just came to you know thank you for giving me this job, you know." I'll bust my ass for you, okay? I know that, you know. I, 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 so don't stress out, all right? Things will work out. And I'm going to bust my ass for you, okay? And then Gordon, like, you know, puts his arm around him. He's like, family, man, family. And then they're just having a moment where Jeff's like, well, was that Aunt Wendy on the phone? And Gordon's like, yeah. He's like, how's she doing? And then Gordon, again, holding back tears, he's like, she's good. She's tired, you know. She's tired. Kids tire you out sometimes. And Jeff goes, well, my dad got the photos from back from the christening. Emma looks pretty pissed off. And then Gordon's like, yeah, she's pretty pissed. 
and they're kind of like having a moment where he seemed like things were okay. Yeah, dude. But not. (laughs) This whole scene, I mean, bro. Peter Mulan, Mulan, dude, he is, this is when I fell in love with him as an actor. I was like, there's, you do not need this level of performance in a horror movie, but that is what elevates this this movie to just phenomenal status. This scene right here, the fact that you believe everything, he he's feeling everything, and watching it multiple times, I, I take it at like, it's almost like, you know, he knows, like his subconscious knows what he did, but he's not able to to just grasp it. So, but his subconscious knows. So it's there. Oh my fucking God, this scene. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. masterfully acted. Because th- this, is a, this is a moment in the movie where you're like, I really hope this guy's not the bad guy because he's just trying to hold it together. And it's yeah. just like he's under pressure. He's just cracking. I hope he's not the villain in this movie. You know, but we'll be. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> do it. So from there, we cut back to Mike listening to the tapes, and he's reading the files, uh, Mary's files. And so as the tapes are playing, you kind of get little glimpses from the files, and the files say things like multiple personalities. Um, he finds a drawing of that Mary did of a girl. Uh, with her doll and a boy with a knife, big knife. You see pictures of dolls in her files, photos of Mary's scarred up chest, uh, and then like a creepy like you know inmate photo, hospital photo. And the doctor's like, you know, he asks Mary how she got the scars on her chest, and she's like, "Do I have to tell you? I fell off my bike when I was a girl." And the doctor says, "Mary, tell me who the princess is." She's like, "I have no idea. Who is Billy?" I don't know anyone named Billy. Who is Simon? I don't know anyone who's Simon. Mary, I just want to go to my room. And then suddenly you hear, Mary is asleep, sir. And the doctor says, Billy, what happened in Lowell? I know you saw what happened. You know what happened, sir. What happened, Billy? She needs to remember. No. Maybe Simon would like to tell me what happened. He's asleep, sir. Wake up, Simon. No. And the doctor says, Billy, we have to wake up Simon. You know what's really cool? is like with Billy and the princess, I don't know if it's all the same actress doing the same voice, but they do have a female voice for all of them. It's got to be. Except Simon. Mm -hmm. That's That's what's awesome because... The whole time, you know that you're listening to multiple personalities. You know they're all coming out of a female. So when Simon eventually comes and, and the voice comes of Simon, it's such a great moment that's also subtle. Again, this movie works in giant subtleties. And the fact that you might not pick up the first time that Simon's voice is male, but then you watch it again or you think about it, you're like, wait a minute, but that's coming out of a, a supposed to be coming out of a female, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah. And they cut to, as as they're wrapping up this conversation, this kind of back and forth with the doctor and Billy, they show a creepy photo of Mary in the file. Um, and then you cut to the the clean room. I call it the clean room, where the, the plastic's on the floor and plastic on the mm. wall and ceilings. And you, uh, Phil has just showered. And he's like, Gordon, you should take a shower, you know, cleaning that shit off your body. Gordon's sitting down, and Phil sits down next to him. Gordon's cleaning out his respirator. 
and Phil's like, you know, you shouldn't go home with that shit on you. And Gordon's like, then suddenly Gordon like changes the subject. He's like, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? And Phil's like, you mean besides coming to work for you? Uh, I'd have to say, uh, I'd say introducing Hank to Amy. That was pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. Which I had that one back. I, I, I like that little bit of uh, dialogue. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. And then out of nowhere, Gordon's like, I hit Wendy. And then Phil like looks shocked. Phil goes, what? It was Friday night. I, I wanted to celebrate getting this job. And I had the flowers. I had the champagne. I went into the kitchen. She was cooking pasta. I wanted to kiss her. She turned around, and before I knew it, there was a pot of boiling water all over my leg. Now we know why that stain was on his leg, and he was wincing so bad. He goes, I don't know if it was the dog barking. I don't know if it was Emma crying, but I slapped her. I hit my wife. I love my wife. It was an accident, but I slapped her for it. I've tried to talk to her on the phone, but she wouldn't listen. And Phil says, well, where are you staying? And Gordon says, a motel, which we know is bullshit. Yep. Staying on his van. And then he like looks at, he looks Phil directly in the eyes. He's like, you don't tell the others. You don't tell the other guys about this. And Phil's like, oh, come on, man. And then Gordon changes the subject. He's like, you were right about Craig. You should give him a call. And Phil changes the subject. And Phil goes, well, you know those, uh, those kids the other day? Yeah, I had a conversation with those fucking graffiti artists, and they will not be coming back our way again. I spoke to him. I said, if I see you again, I'm calling security. So anyway, that's taken care of, all right? So you know everyone's lying about something. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I love, you know, uh, Gordon's just kind of like looking at him. And he's yeah. like, uh, all right, all right, you know. But you like can tell he's blinking. like, not you can tell blinking. he's like, I know you're, it's the look of, I know you're lying to me, but I'm not going to call you out on it because I just, I'm not going to deal with this right now, but I know you're lying to me. Exactly. And Gordon, yeah, Gordon just says, okay. And Phil's like, you hang in there. Take a shower, get that shit off you. And you can tell, like, Phil doesn't want to talk about it. And Gordon's like, you can tell Gordon needs support in this moment, yeah. you know, but but he's not going to get it from Phil. Phil leaves, cuts to the evening, and Gordon's sleeping in the van. And Gordon's having a flashback to coming home on Friday and seeing his wife. And you hear this voice come in. Hello, Gordon. Do you know who I am? And then you hear Wendy's voice again, repeating what she said earlier. Roses? They're lovely. What's the occasion, Gordon? She's laughing. And then you you hear her yell, watch out! And they're screaming. And then you hear, do it, Gordon. And the scream again. And it cuts to a shot of a guy in a hazmat suit covered in blood. Yeah. Extreme close-up on his body. Yeah. It's it's like, it's very... It's it's clearly like this like yeah it's it's stylized because he's like in harsh light and everything yeah. but it's, it's a nightmare. so well done yeah it's so good this is this is literally what's going on in Gordon's head yeah Gordon wakes up shocked from that and then now he's pour he has iodine in his hand and he's pouring it on his leg his fucking he's screaming with his festering like like you know fucking saliva boils out his mouth. and everything yeah yeah because his legs all totally. Should have should have gone to a doctor, probably, but he didn't because of what happened after he spilled the water on his leg. Yeah. <laughs> um, from there, there's shots in. This is important. From there, there's shots of inside the hospital, different sections of the hospital, and as they're pan, the camera's panning through the hospital, you see like a shadow, kind of moving in a room or. By a, by a window, kind of what you were describing earlier, which is what the filmmaker saw, but there's somebody clearly in 
the building. Now there are deleted scenes on this on this DVD. By so, the way, so so I was gonna say so there is a whole subplot of a female homeless person uh, living in the hospital. And I do think later when they go chasing the footsteps upstairs, I think that was the, that was her. That was the deleted. Uh, They, they basically, so there, there's a whole subplot there. It's kind of a, it's a red herring. It's just supposed to be a red herring. They showed it to audiences and all the audience, they thought it was Mary Hobbs. Like, they were like, is that Mary Hobbs? And they were like, oh, I guess it is kind of confusing. So they literally cut everything that had to do with um, the this subplot. But I do think we are seeing bits of it. I think this might have been a part of it. And, but I do truly believe later that the running footsteps upstairs is a part of that subplot when when Gordon goes upstairs to look for the person because they think it's Hank and then and yeah. then Phil goes downstairs and actually discovers Hank. I think that was actually a part of that subplot. But here I think this was a part of the subplot. I think these shadows were originally intended to be her, but having that taken out, having that exercised from the film, now it makes it so that it's Gordon walking through there and i think it makes for a tighter story i think it makes for a tighter experience um and i think that uh this makes it makes for a much eerie much more of an eerie moment right now it's just i don't think that that was the original intent agreed um from there, we cut the, the daytime the next day with this beautiful cloudy sky. Uh, oh, it's Thursday with the fucking yeah, the most amazing clouded, like the weirdest fucking clouds you've ever seen. And yeah. and like nowadays that would be done with CGI or something because they'd be like, we need to make this weird. They just fucking captured a weird ass fucking moment. Yeah, they, and it's yeah, it's beautiful. It, it sets up Thursday is like D Day pretty much. It's Thursday is D Day. Yes, because from here, uh, Phil is in his truck at early before anyone else is rolled up. Rolling a fat joint, baby. Fat, a fatty. He's getting ready to smoke a big fatty bombatty. And right <laughs> as he's about to smoke the joint, Gordon rolls up. Just yeah, looking you can at tell him. Phil's pissed. He's like, God damn it. <laughs> Phil's pissed, but also like embarrassed. Like he doesn't want to confess that he was smoking mm-hmm. a joint earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I guess I wasn't the only only one who couldn't sleep. And uh, he's just, tr- you can tell he's nervous. He's like, I got uh, I got Craig coming in tomorrow, okay? Yeah, he's changing the subject, you know. Yeah. Because Gordon's just like paranoid. Fucking, Gordon's just staring at him, basically. Gordon's staring like through him. You yeah. Know? And he's like, he says to Gordon, he's like, you okay? And Gordon's like, I want to go home. That's that was like, the saddest piece of fucking dialogue, man. Like <laughs> at this point moving forward, I felt so bad for Gordon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly lost his shit, you know? And Phil's like, I'm going to go inside. Yeah, Phil's like, like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not too early for this. And then you cut to Phil, like, on the roof right after that, smoking said joint. And he goes, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, that that was a little bit odd because it's literally it's weird because he's you see him for like it, this little shot, this little scene is literally like forty five seconds long, and he's yeah. just there and he's like, "It's gonna get ugly," and that's it. And I mean, I'm fine. I I, I don't. There's nothing I want to edit. Yeah, maybe of anything, I would say maybe cut that little piece of dialogue out. Right? Yeah. No, that were Yeah, I, I agree. That, that that could have been omitted because from here you cut back to 
the the main mess hall area dining hall and with Jeff and Mike and the they're using the machine and the breaker uh, the breaker clicks or breaks again uh, on the generator and Mike you know blames Jeff again and he's like Jesus Jeff what did you do and and just like I, I didn't do anything you know and he's like I'm gonna go I'm going to go check the breakers. And then Phil walks in yelling for Mike and Mike's like, what? He's like, take a break with me. And Mike's like, I can't, I, I got to go check the breakers. And you can tell he like wants to go back to the records. Yeah, room he's and, <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, let the kid do it. And Mike goes, he's got nyctophobia. He's like, Mike. Okay. All right. All right. Fuck. Fuck. Fine. And leaves Jeff and Jeff has to go down to turn the breaker back on. And Phil and Mike are in a hallway near the dining hall. And Phil's like, we got a problem. He's like, we have a problem. And I want you to know that this is not easy for me. Look at me. This is not easy for me. Do you understand? Okay, we need to talk about Gordon. And Mike's like, what about him? He needs to take some time off, Mike. Well, why? Because he's becoming a liability. And Mike's like, I, Phil, look, I, I can see why you're a little paranoid. And Phil's like, can you? You know that he hit his wife? And right at the same moment when they're talking about Gordon, they cut to Gordon one floor below, listening to them have this conversation. Yeah, you can fucking it's... hear everything they are saying. And you're like, oh, shit, this is bad. For yeah. anybody that has ever gone behind someone's back, talked about someone behind their back, if you knew that said person was listening to you the whole time, you'd be like, oh, shit. There's no going yeah. back from this. There's no going back from this. It's and it's so, it's it's embarrassing, but you know I I get why Phil does it because I think he's he's he is concerned. He's clearly well, concerned. You know he is, and he's and he's you know to use like a whatever term he's creating. He's like mutiny. He's you know he's like yeah. I got to take over this job to save this job. Yeah, uh, and he's like, look, I got I got Craig coming over tomorrow. If Griggs hears about this, you know you understand what this means, right? He's like, you want to lose this gig? You want to lose the bonus? Because that's what's going to happen. And Mike's like, okay, so what do we do? And, and, and Phil's like, okay, listen to me. You follow my lead. You let me handle this, okay? I don't give a shit what happens. Fuck it. I'm in charge now. And then Mike's like, so what did he say? And Phil's like, I think it might have happened Saturday. I don't know. Right as this is happening, you cut to Jeff going into the basement where the uh, generator is. And he finds the cord for the machine and he plugs it back in and he bolts as soon as he can yeah, right back like, upstairs, which makes right, right yeah. back down up, you know, back to where he came from. Yeah. And uh, and then you cut back to Phil and Mike and they're having their whole discussion. And that's when Gordon walks in right as they're talking. Just staring at him, just fucking staring He's just at staring him. staring at them. And then there's super awkward silence. And then Mike breaks the silence. He's like, we, we were just talking about your nephew. But how he's coming along, that sort of thing. And Gordon's that's a, like, "That's a good save. I'd say it's that's a, good a good save." save. Yeah. <laughs> and Gordon's like, "So how's he coming along?" You cut to Jeff, and he's hustling back up the stairs, and he sees Hank at the stairs. Hank, staring out at a window. And I, I didn't notice it the first time, but like, so there's two sides of every hallway. There's a patient side and there's a staff side. And I like the fact that that Jeff's on one side of the fence, but it's still the same stairwell. But the stairwell, picture the stairwell then being divided in the middle by a fence that you can't 
sort of get through. And so like, cause one side's the staff side, one side's the patient side and he's and, and Hank's on the other side and he's, and he's wearing his sunglasses as we mentioned before. Wearing his sunglasses and, and Jeff's like, yo dude, he's like, you're in some deep shit. And then Hank goes, what are you doing here? And Jeff's like, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? Everyone thinks you're in Miami at that casino school. Fucking Gordon and Phil want your head, man. So, dude, did you score on a scratch or what? What are <laughs> and you Hank just goes, doing here? What are you doing here? And at the same moment when he does that, he puts his finger, Hank does, puts his finger on the window and wipes it down and you see blood on the window. Yeah, because Hank's just like staring out at the window. You know, yeah, he's, he's not, not even, even acknowledging ign- Jeff. Yeah, he's not even acknowledging Jeff at all. No, and Jeff's like, uh, listen, I forgot something. I'll be back. And then you cut back to Mike, Phil, and Gordon, and Mike's talking about Jeff. He's like, well, you know, man, he, you know, uh, he just needs a little motivation. That's pretty much it. And then Gordon's like, oh yeah, really? Well, what do you think, Phil? And Phil's like, yeah, same, you know, he's a little slow, but uh, I think with, you know, Hank gone and Craig coming in, we'll pick up the slack. And Mike's like, yeah, I'll motivate him, little mullet head. Maybe party in the back, but I'll make sure he's business in the front. (laughs) And Gordon's like, what what time is it? Phil's like, I think it's it's noon, about noon. Gordon's like, lunchtime. And then uh, Gordon says, you want to place the order? And he gives the, his, Mike, his phone. And Mike's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And right as that happens, uh, you cut to Phil with a coin in his hand, like the same one Hank found yeah. two nights ago, and yeah. says, uh, fuck it, Mike, let, let's flip for it. And Mike's like, what? And he's like, let's flip for it. And Mike's like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that coin, you know? Phil's like, oh, I found it. Worth something, too. You ready? It's just like a weird moment because you're like, yeah. wait, that's the same coin, right? Yeah. And then he's like, call it in the air, heads or tails. At the same time, at the same time Phil's flipping the coin, it cut back to Hank at the window, has a coin in his his hand, and he drops the same coin on the ground. And you cut back to Phil, Gordon, and Mike, and he's like, Tails, get, get going, loser. Jeff runs up at the same time, and he's like, I found Hank. And Phil's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Jeff? And he's like, I, I, I just found Hank in the stairwell. He was just standing there. And Phil's like, don't be a fucking idiot. And he goes, I'm not a fucking idiot. I swear to God, I saw him. And Phil says, if he's in Miami, Jeff, why would he be here? How could that be possible, Jeff? And Jeff's like, I don't know, but I saw him. And Phil's like, just go back to work. We'll bring you lunch. And then Gordon's like, well, where was he, Jeff? And Jeff goes, in the stair, in the staircase next to the equipment room. And Phil's like, wait, wait a minute. It said, look, he looks over at Gordon. He's like, you believe him? You believe this punk, Gordon? And he's like, come on, oh, for Christ's sakes, this is ridiculous. If he's in Miami, why should he be here? And they're going back and forth. And, and Gordon's like, well, we're going to go ask him ourselves, right? And they walk off. And they get to the stairwell. And Jeff's like, he was standing right there. It's fucking weird, but he was right there. I'm telling you, he's right there. And Phil's like, right over where, Jeff? Jeff? Jeff's like, I swear he was. I'm not lying. Why would I make this up? And Phil's like, okay, listen to me, guys. You heard me on the phone with Amy. Am I right? She said Hank went to where? Miami. Okay. Now we heard it. We all heard it, right? And Gordon's like, no. No, we didn't. Phil goes, what? Mike's like, I'm going to go to lunch. And Gordon goes, no, you stay where you are. And Phil's like, what are you saying, Gordon? And Gordon says, 
You told us what she said, but we didn't hear her say it. I like We this. saw you on the phone. We heard you on the phone. We didn't hear Amy, right? And Phil, and Phil goes, right. So what you're saying to me is that it wasn't Amy on the phone? Is that what you... Mike, come on. Come on. He's looking at Mike. He's like, come on, dude. Like, come on, man. Gordon's like, Mike, give me that cell phone. And Phil goes, why? And Gordon goes, because I want to talk to Amy. And Phil goes, what? I spoke to Amy. You don't need to speak to Amy. And Mike says, give me the cell phone. And they go back and forth. Don't, and, Mike, don't give him the cell phone. Right? <laughs> They're going this back and forth banter. And he, he's, you know, that's, this is when you like, this is when you think that, that Phil is lying. But I'm just going to say now that I, I think Phil actually talked to Amy because I think everything with Phil is a red herring. So yes, I don't think I agree he, with I, you. So I don't think he lied about talking to Amy. What I think he's upset about is that Phil doesn't believe him. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's yes. that's my takeaway. But I do like the fact that the movie never truly gives you a definitive answer on this question. No, and the, yeah, and and you're and and you really don't know. Like there's still doubt. Okay, maybe Phil didn't call. Maybe Gordon is saying yeah, this is maybe yeah. this is all over the place. And just finally, Phil uh, Gordon says, you know, he screams out, he's like, give me the fucking cell phone. And then you hear the, the running above them yeah. in the stairwell. Yeah, and that's what we, we think it's Hank, but but I think it's I think it's a, a leftover subplot of the, the homeless lady. What, what I love about this, though, is, is Phil goes, what the fuck was that? And Jeff goes, it's Hank. Yeah. Like, I've been trying to tell you the whole time. <laughs> the whole fucking time. <laughs> you guys don't listen to me. And Gordon's like, all right, Jeff, Mike, go downstairs. We'll make sure he doesn't come around. And then he looks at points at Phil. He's like, Phil, like you, you come with me. And Phil goes, hey, fuck you. Hold on. So that fuck you where the camera zooms in, dude, this was a meme back in early 2000s. I use it all the time. And I completely forgot about it until it, it, until I saw it here and my whole entire, like I basically felt like I had a missing piece of the puzzle to my life because I was like, first off, I totally forgot about this meme. And then I was like, Oh my God, I remember using this meme all the time, but I didn't know what it was from. And now I saw it in context. It's a little silly because now I have the meme first. So I yeah. kind of chuckle, but at the same time, I'm happy that I know what this is fucking finally from the the David Caruso fuck you like fuck like gif you. that everybody fucking uses is from fucking session nine I had no <laughs> idea dude it's great it's great. yeah it's a little out of place because you're like wait what because well but, he, but is it out of place or is it only out of place because now it's been turned into a meme you know well it's it's more just like I I would have my take on that whole thing would have been like. No, Gordo, fuck you. I'm taking Jeff. Yeah. You know, but he, but he did his David Caruso. He basically, I feel like, and it's funny because it's it's pre CSI Miami, but yeah. he basically channeled CSI Miami David Caruso like a few years early, essentially. Yeah. You just cue that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, yeah, Phil says, you come with me, points at Jeff. So Jeff and Phil go off downstairs. Mike goes with Gordon because Gordon yells to Mike, Mike, basically come with me. They go upstairs to investigate. Phil and Jeff are down near the, in the, going toward the tunnels, right? And Jeff's like, wait, you heard him go that way. He's like pointing in one direction. And Phil's like, no, no, we got to take the tunnels. They're safer. And Jeff's like, safer? And we all know why Jeff wouldn't want to go in the tunnels, right? 
and then you cut back to Mike and Gordon and Mike's like, Gordo, this could be anybody. It could be squatters, could be kids cut back to Jeff and Phil and Phil's like on a mission heading towards the tunnels. Just like, come on, Phil, slow down, man. He's not down here. Cut back to Gordon and Mike and they are, it's like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cross cutting. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately what happens is uh, Mike pretends to hear something as they're heading towards the, 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 the a ward. And Mike's like, did you hear that Gordo? And Gordo's like, no, I didn't keep going. Come on. And he's like, I think I heard something down this hallway. I'm going to go check it out. And he runs off to the basement to go listen to the tapes. And, and, and literally says, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this shit. And, and Gordon like screams at him like, Mike, Mike, we stick, we stick together, but it's too late. Mike's split. Now, Jeff and Phil are getting deep into the tunnels now going deeper, 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 like talking three or four levels underground. Yeah. And Jeff is so scared and Phil's like, no, we got to keep going. I hear you can hear something, but you're not sure what it is yet. And he says to Jeff, he's like, give me your torch. Give me your flashlight. And Jeff's like, this is fucking dumb, man. I don't want to even be down here. And Phil's like, shut up. I want you to stay right here. You see or hear anything. You call me. And Jeff goes, I left my walkie talkie in the van. And Phil looks at Jeff and he's like, you just stay here. And Phil goes like one more level underground into the main tunnels. And, and Phil and Jeff goes, when I saw Hank, I think he had blood on his hands. And Phil's like, just stay here. And you can hear in the background, if you have good sound system on your TV, you can hear the subtle music, little bit of music. Just, it's just uh, the, the music that's, um, that, uh, Hank's been listening to, um, it's just, it's just subtle. It's just subtly there. Yep. Yeah. It's great. Cut to Gordon. Gordon's still looking for Hank, quote unquote. And then you cut back to Mike and Mike is back listening is to listening to his tapes. And the doctor is like, is that you? The princess and Simon are all in Mary. He's talking to Billy right now. And Billy's like, yes, sir. Then he goes, then you're sick too. All of you. Billy goes, yes, sir. And then the doctor says, you want Mary to get better, right, Billy? Yes. Well, then tell me about that night in Lowell, Billy. We were playing hide and seek, sir. Mary was looking for a new doll. And she was looking for Peter. He was real dark. From there, you cut back to Jeff and Phil. Or just Jeff in the tunnels, like yelling for Phil. Phil! Like he's super scared. Cut to Phil in the tunnels getting closer to the sound of music cut to Gordon looking. Now he's in the B ward, making his way towards the A ward cut back to Mike, listening to the tapes. Billy's continues. Mary's a good girl. She doesn't need to know what, what Simon did to who to Peter. Well, what did Simon do to Peter, Billy? Tell me so that we can make Mary and he Mike like fast forwards the tape as he does. It cuts back to the generator outside and the power is going out. Of course, Jeff, who's now in the tunnels, stuck in the tunnels with no flashlight, no walkie talkie starts to get panicked, right? Because you can see the lights flickering. Yes, and he's like, oh, shit, and he's already making his way, trying to make his way out of the tunnels. Yeah. 
Cut back to Phil, following the music, finds Hank's CD player on the ground with the music playing. Gordon is in the B ward now, and he hears, Gordon. And he runs, thinking it's something down the hall, which starts running after this sound that he hears someone saying his name. Cuts to Jeff in this long tunnel that's lined on the right-hand side with hazmat suits. Oh, it's such a great set. It's so freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's terrifying. So it's a it's a tunnel lined with hazmat suits. You don't see the ending of the tunnel. All you see is the lights above and the suits on the side. And, and the lights are like... And it's gonna make it's gonna be like there's a point to this. The lights are like individual bulbs going down the row, essentially. Yes. Cut to the uh, the the tapes and the doctor's like Billy, I need to talk to Simon. And Billy's like, he made me do it. It was awful. Billy, wake up, Simon. As this is happening, Mike's fast forwarding the tape. Gordon's running, hearing cr- a creepy laugh. Phil's following Hank's voice which is now saying, what are you doing here? The generator finally conks out. The lights in the tunnel start going out. Jeff is running as fast as he can from where he's at to the end of the tunnel, which we don't know where the ending of this tunnel is. He gets swallowed by the darkness, and you hear him screaming in terrifying, terrifying screams. So good. So fucking good, dude. And as this is happening... The camera pans up, and you see what's above these tunnels, and it's this creepy, dilapidated house. It yeah. is so, so creepy. Jeff's screaming. Phil gets closer in the tunnel to the sound. He finally gets to the, the, the point where Hank was stealing the coins, and he sees in the corner Hank with his clothes off in his underwear with his sunglasses on, rocking back and forth, saying, What are you doing here? Yeah. So freaky, dude. So fucking freaky. When I saw this for the first time, I was like, you know, just like, oh, God. Finally, you cut to Mike putting gas in the generator. Turn it back on. Gordon goes up to uh, the A block. Jeff has reached the end of the tunnel. He's with light above him, and he's covered, covered in asbestos dust yeah it's terrifying yeah and he he's just he looks up and he's like "Ah, ah, ah," and it's honestly this him being covered in asbestos dust is terrifying it's yeah it's just no one's dead you're no one has been killed yet nope it's simply like what's happened to hank he's still alive yeah he's rocking back and forth saying what are you doing here what are you doing here but but yet at this point my nerves are shot. <laughs> totally. Again, it reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you know we're just introduced to like the hitchhiker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the hitchhiker is terrifying without really doing a whole lot. Yeah. He cuts his own like H- he hand. Yeah. And that's about it. You know. Yeah. It's so creepy. Anyways, um, Phil radios Gordon. You know, he's like, Gordon, come back. And then Gordon just, Gordon says, yeah. And also, all Gordon says is, Ward A, third floor. And then Phil says, I'm coming. Generator screams back on. And the recording 
of the tapes is playing. Yeah, but Mike's and not near it this time, though. But it's just Mike's not near own. it, and this is important. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he's not near it is important. The tape's playing. Pause, and you hear, "Hello, Doc," and the and the doctor says, "Simon, you know who I am." And the doctor says, "Billy's told me a lot about you. Billy is a smart boy." What happened on Christmas night in Lowell? Use your imagination. I'd rather you tell me, Simon. And as this is happening, Phil's making his way back to Gordon. And Gordon is... And he's got his knife out. So like he's got yeah his yeah. asbestos knife. Yes, yeah, right? so you really think that this is it? Like he like fills the bad guy here. Cuts back to the audio. Peter was naughty. The doctor says, "What did Peter do? He shouldn't have done it, Doc." Well, tell me, Simon. He scared Mary. He crept up behind her in the dark, and he scared her. Mary fell down. She fell on her doll. And you hear like the sound of uh, doll breaking and Mary screaming. It cuts back to Gordon and he's arriving in one of the seclusion rooms. And whose seclusion room does he happen to arrive at? But Mary Hobbs, number 444. Number 444, baby. Cuts back to Simon. It cut her up, Doc. It cut her up real bad. She needed someone to help her. So I introduced myself. Hello, Mary. And I told her to cut up Peter Duck. Do it, Mary. And then from there, cuts back to Gordon, looking at the walls in Mary's room. There's pictures on her wall, and then the camera pans around. There's a picture of Gordon's daughter, Emma, on the wall. Yep. Flashes back to Phil at lunchtime, tossing his... Gordon's wallet back to him, which makes you think that Phil took it out of his wallet. Yeah, yeah. Phil's getting closer to Gordon with the cutter in his hand. Cuts back to Simon. Do it, Mary, to cut him up real bad, too. Good thing his knife was real sharp. And then, just so her mommy and daddy wouldn't get mad... I told her to cut them up too. Do it. And then you come back to Gordon's Gordon looking at the wind, uh, pictures on the wall, and there's more photos of Gordon's family from the baptism. Tons of photos all over the wall. Phil walks into Mary's room, and he stops in the doorway. You hear Simon say, There was a lot of blood, Doc. So much blood. But Mary wanted to do it. Do it, Mary. So she did it. And I, and I think that's the thing we're supposed to also take away is that, you know, he, he you do it because you want to. And he's like the voice that's kind of pushing you. But ultimately, you know, it's because they want to. Meaning, yes. meaning uh, Gordon, you know. Exactly. So Phil's in the doorway of of uh, Mary's room Gordon turns and looks at Phil in shock 
Then you cut to Jeff bursting out of the dilapidated house that was above <laughs> the tunnels and just covered in spooge. He's like ripping <laughs> off his hazmat suit, running out, screaming like a maniac. Mike is walking back from turning, putting gas in the generator through the main hall. Um, and then cuts back to Phil and Gordon looking at each other. And Gordon's like shaking his head in horror. And then Jeff cuts back to Jeff running through the field screaming. And then he gets to the van, Gordon's van, uh, and walkies from the van to Gordon. And he's like, I'm by the van. And then he pulls the uh, Oreos <laughs> he from the, Oreos. Yep. the door, mm-hmm. starts eating some Oreos. He's finally starting to calm down. And then he gets up and he sees someone coming towards him. And he's like, hey, man, I'm so sorry, man. I was freaking out. The lights went out. I got these in the van. Is that okay? And and he holds up the Oreos. And as soon as this camera is getting closer to him, it just like you hear this loud, weird sound, like a crashing, like scream. And the scene just stops. And it's freaky because like you can tell the very last nanosecond, Jeff is going to hug the camera, meaning whoever that is, he's like going to like hug the, hug the person like, oh, and, but yeah. And which makes later on in a few moments later when you find out what happens, even the wor- even worse, you know. Exactly. So from here, you cut to the final day, Friday. Friday. T- TGIF, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and the t- final tape cuts to the you cut to the you cut to the records room. And the final tape runs out on session nine. Mm-hmm. Sound of the generator is running. Uh, Gordon is in his van, sitting in his van. You hear Phil come in on the walkie-talkie, and he says, come back. Gordon says, this is Gordon. Phil says, we found the one, the one responsible. And then Gordon heads to find Phil. Overhead shot of the hospital, creepy bat wing looking hospital. Then cut back to the parking lot, and you see this like Mazda RX-7 blazing <laughs> in, the whole blazing, bla- doing like in. almost like half like drifting the way it's driving. Yeah, it's, <laughs> fucking, it's fucking great. <laughs> slides in, sque- tires squealing, shit like that. And this dude gets out of the car. This big dude with a fucking hairline, forehead. This giant, giant forehead, forehead. Big old like he's got one of those beer bellies where all he does is drink. So he's yep. got the skinny arms with like the big fat hanging over his belt, you know, (laughs) like we've all been there, done that scene, that shit. (laughs) Fucking Larry Fassen for whatever his name is. Craig McManus (laughs) shows up, baby. Larry Fassesden. 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 Mulan. Mulan? Mullen. Um, Dr. Rosen Penis. (laughs) Yeah, we are are butchering names this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. People love that for us. People love us for that. Um, Gordon walks into the, I'm going to like the clean room with the, with the plastic on the ground and the walls and the ceiling. And he sees on the ground, Hank laying down naked. Uh, well, probably in his chonies and he's covered in plastic with his sunglasses on. He hears Phil's voice and he looks up after looking at Hank, he looks up in front of him and Phil is standing there and Phil's like, well, I mean, he brought it on himself, didn't he? It's typical, typical Henry. Wrong place at the wrong time. And Gordon's looking at Phil and he goes, you did this. And Phil goes, I need you to wake up and take 
a really, really good look at him. Gordon walks, and this is awesome because it's almost like it's his subconscious trying to like fucking like pound its way into the forefront, essentially. You know, well, it's so he sees Phil, and and as far as we know, yeah, Phil did all this, right? As far as we know, at this at this point, at this point, holy shit, and and Gordon's like the 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 Zen master, still chill. Gordon walks and looks at Hank, takes Hank's sunglasses off. And sees the lobotomy tool in his eye, and Hank moves, and he's still alive. Yeah, this is fucking horrible, bro. The thing in his eye, man. It's and it's such a good effect. Like, and I mean, like his 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 like whatever contact lens they put in for that eye. Like, it's a really just good good effect. It's so good, and and Gordon's like panicking now. He's like, Hank, it's it, it's okay. It's me. You hang in there, brother. You hang in there. We'll try and get you some help, okay? And Phil goes, you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't tell anybody about this because if they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. And Gordon looks up at Phil. He's like, you did this. And immediately it flashes back to Hank the night he was taking the coins and whomever he ran into, he's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? And then it cuts back to Gordon and he looks at Phil and he's like, you got those guys, didn't you? You hired those guys to do this. And Phil's like, Gordy, you are asleep. And Gordon's like, you hired those guys to kill him. You're asleep. Where are the others? Open your eyes. Where are they? You've got to wake up. You tell me where they are. Would you wake up? Tell me. Would you wake up? I am fucking awake, Gordon says. And right at that moment, you see McManus show up. He's like, hey, who are you talking to, man? Gordon? And like at that point, you see the camera. It's like behind. the same, yeah, the same shot or something. But yeah, kind of same perspective of Craig looking at Hank, and where Phil was supposed to be, who he was just talking to. No one's there, oh, and that fuck. is the reveal. Yeah, that it is Gordon who did all this shit. Phil is not there. And oh, Craig's but, like, hey, but but Hank is. Hank's Hank is there. Hank's there. <laughs> Gordon's there, and Craig McManus just showed up, and he's like, "What are you? Who are you talking to, man? Gordon?" And then he looks down. At this moment, he just realizes that Hank's laying on the ground, and Craig's like, uh, "Hey, Gordon, I'm I'm a little confused here, man. What's what is this?" And as soon as he he doesn't even have a moment to like really process, Gordon turns to Craig, grabs Craig in a chokehold. And pulls him down to the ground, like kind of knocks his head. Yeah, kind of so like he's kind of dizzy. Yeah, kind of like punches him in the side of the head or something like yeah. that. Yeah, kind of disorients him a little bit. Pulls out the pipette from Hank's head. Yeah, and and that that was CGI, by the way. The the, the oh, thing really? coming out of his head was CGI, and then it's CGI when he next thing the next thing oh happens. cool yeah. okay i mean it looks like one of those tricks where you like hide your hand. And, yeah, you know. I thought it was too, but yeah, no, that that was both times are CGI. Cool. It looks. It's good CGI. It's it's the it's when it's what you should actually use CGI for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so he takes the pipette out of Hank's head, and Hank's head like lifts off the ground and then falls yep. back down. It's a great effect. And then Craig is like still kind of dazed, but he's still alert enough to kind of start squirming and yelling out "No!" And you hear Simon say, "Do it, Gordon." And he takes, Gordon takes the pipette and jams it into Craig's eye. 
Yeah, and and so like on the making of uh, Fasten Bender, whatever was like, you know, back then it was kind of interesting being like, okay, we're gonna do this in post and kind of pantomiming things. But he's like, but nowadays all us actors are pretty much used to pantomiming things because everything is CGI now. But again, <laughs> I want to reiterate, this is like this is what CGI I think is used the best for when like you can't cr- do the practical effect that well, or like or it would just cost so much more money to do the practical effect just use cgi here this is the perfect use of it it's all you got to do yeah from here it flashes back to hank's night again and hank now it's revealed hank now sees gordon coming towards him and hank's like what are you doing here and you and gordon's looking at him with his eyes kind of like half glazed over uh, almost like he's asleep yeah and gordon runs into him and like tackles him like like you don't see what he actually does to him but it just like cuts to the next scene you, you i like how you never see any of of how he kills essentially yep and then you see a picture of mary's face a creepy picture of mary's face and you hear the doctor say why did you do it simon and as simon's about to talk gordon's face kind of pans up and gets superimposed over Mary's face. Dude. And Simon says. That was so, that shot was awesome. I so love awesome. that shot because like it's, 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 it's this awesome shot of like Mary looking all sinister and everything. And then it kind of like, yeah, superimposes fucking Hank or not Hank. Uh, Gordon is sort of like sort of standing up. It's, there's a little movement, but he essentially comes into frame into Mary's like they they merge and you know then that he's infected with whatever she has they're one in the same the the, the story is the same and you're just like I, I mean dude I'm, I have goosebumps right now bro yeah. this is this is so yeah. fucking good I have goosebumps yeah yeah and and there's like this creepy carnival music playing oh in the background I, too. No, so so the creeping carnival music it was when he stabs uh uh McManus in the eye there's this weird like it's out of nowhere it's like this carnival music and i took it as like it's his brains just getting scrambled it's like it's like they took this just this a sound that's just so weird and foreign that or it should be weird and foreign in this moment and put it here because i took it as his brain is just the synapses are just firing and it's just oh my god and almost if anything like that also makes it more more sickening you know yeah totally totally and then you hear simon after the doctor says, why did you do it, Simon? And Simon says, because Mary let me, Doc. They always do. And then you flash back to Hank getting hit by Gordon. And then Simon's laughing, this creepy, maniacal laugh. And then you see Phil in his in, in uh, looking at Gordon and going, Gordy, Gordy. He goes, if they, uh, if they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. And then you like that, that's, that's Gordon's mind saying that. Yeah. But what, what Phil really does say, he's like, Gordy, I found Hank Gordy. He's hurt. And he said, you did it to him. Is that true? Gordy, Gordy. And then he gets hit by Gordy. Now, the only thing I will take away is that, do you think Hank said that? Like, all we know is that Hank is saying, you know, what are you doing here? Did, so we're also supposed to believe that Hank also said that 
Gordon did this to me. It's a script thing. I feel like it's just a script thing, them trying to like just tie everything up. But it was the one thing that I kind of was like, uh... yeah. but, but, but everything about this movie is so tight. There's so very little to like latch on to that doesn't work. So when something doesn't work, I'm kind of, it, it's so much more apparent, you know, but that's, but that is a testimony to how well crafted this film is. Yep. Yep. No, you're right. You're right. And, and so like his, his subconscious is Phil talking to him. Right. And, uh, after, you know, after you, you kind of hear sort of see Phil get hit, it cuts to, uh, Phil's body on the ground in the, the clean room dead. And, uh, you hear Gordon then say, who did this? And then Phil says he brought it on himself, didn't he? Wrong place at the wrong time. And you see Mike flashback to Mike when he's walking through the main hall after gassing up the generator and coming up behind him is Gordon running towards him from behind. Fucking with... running at him with that fucking asbestos blade out. He runs at him and like literally I again, I love the fact that you don't actually see any of the hits connect, but fucking he like jumps and lunges and you're like jesus christ it's intense he clobbers the back of his head there's blood on the ground um and then it cuts to mike's dead body on Mm -hmm. plastic and then gordon says like he's talking to phil in his mind where are the others and phil says gordy you are asleep and flashes back to jeff at the van when he sees gordon approaching gordon's now you see Gordon walking towards the van, puts his hand up like, you know, I'm here. Yeah. And as Jeff opens his arms for the big hug, that's when Gordon knocks him out. Yeah, he does like a he does like a swipe and it just looks it looks brutal. And again, your your mind just fills in the blanks. And this is like this is horror film, just master craftsmanship right here. So great. And then you there you cut to Jeff lying face down on the ground on plastic, which I think is cool because it's yeah. like... You don't see what happened. No, which is, makes it even more intense. Yep, your brain fills in the blanks, baby. Right. And then you hear Phil's voiceover saying, I need you to open your eyes now and wake up and remember. It flashes back to Gordon coming home to Wendy and with the flowers and the GIF and the Oreos and the ba 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 and you hear Wendy saying, roses, they're lovely. What's the occasion, Gordon? And you hear the sound of the boiling water. And then you hear Wendy scream out, you know, watch out, Gordon, no. And then you hear the sound of Gordon killing Wendy. You hear the dog barking. You hear the dog get killed. Then you hear the baby crying. And then you hear the baby get killed. And then you see shots of all the photos that got developed from the baptism and on plastered on Mary's wall. And then you hear Simon say, do it, Gordon, do it now. And then from there, you cut to Gordon on his broken cell phone in Mary's room, calling, crying, calling, calling Wendy, talking to Wendy, thinking he's talking to Wendy. And he's like, please, please don't hang up, please. I just want to say how sorry I am for what happened. I'm so sorry. I'm so lonely here. I want to come home. I want to hold you. I want to hold my baby. Can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And he's on one hand, he's got the cell phone in one hand. On the other hand, he's got a hand on the wall, hold, uh, touching the picture of Wendy and Emma. And then it cuts to a panning shot overhead of the hospital. 
and you just hear the doctor say, and where do you live, Simon? And Simon says, I live in the weak and the wounded, Doc. And it just fades out, end credits, and that is the end of session nine. Jesus Christ, what an amazing, what an amazing film. What a wonderfully horrific film, but just beautiful at the same time. And what a fantastic ending. It is literally one of those movies where right when it ends, I was like, I want to watch this right now again all the way through because i i want to see the the full picture the second viewing is the full picture but man ending it when he says like i I live in the weak and the wounded i mean it's that's that's gordon you know it's like holy shit man like just just holy shit and it just leaves you with the pit in your stomach because you know you you love gordon but you're also feeling so bad for him at the end you're like he just wants to he just wants to be with his wife and kid. He doesn't know what he did, but at the same time, he hey, oh my god, it's so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. It's so good. And and my 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 memory's a little foggy from that time, but I feel like Fangoria had a lot of conventions in Pasadena back in the day. They moved from like Burbank to Pasadena for a minute, and my brother and I would go to those and they would always do a screening of of some movie and i feel like they screened session nine that weekend of fango weekend and they would always have it at the same movie theater in pasadena downtown pasadena it was an amc where the 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 theater the screener the the screens were underground you had to go down Mm. an escalator underground and then you'd have to you know either go up the escalator or you go out the emergency exit which would like lead you down this up the stairway into the alley and I feel like we saw this movie there and we were walking out of the alley in the darkness after the end of this creepiest shit movie. And I just remember still be like still feeling that terrified feeling watching it now for I don't know. I've seen this movie 10 times at least. And I still get left with the same feeling like this is such a quality, not beautiful, but beautifully horrific yeah. film. And, and definitely, in my opinion, what? Definitely, in my opinion, one of the most underrated horror, psychological horror films of the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's I mean, dude, it's up there. I mean, like, look at everything. Just the fact that, like, you hyped it up. And I still remember, like, I think even it was before, you know, maybe we were doing podcasts after dark. I think you were telling me about it. You're like, you're like, it's, it's, I was like, is it a ghost story? And you're like, it's not really, because all you're really hearing is this tape, like this, this voice on the tape. But you're like, you're like, it's so freaky though. And so the whole time I'm watching this movie, I was like in the back of my head and, and you're right. I mean, you're right. But at the same time, there's just so much more to it. It's so well done. And the fact that like, even after all the hype and everything, it, it exceeded the hype for me. It 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 sh- overshot it. You know, my Myra, my wife's been talking about it at work ever since we watched it for days. It's clearly it's sticking with her. It's sticking with me. I could fucking watch this movie right now, and it's just it's so good. It's just it's dripping with atmosphere. Yeah. It's dripping with fantastic acting. Totally. It's dripping with fantastic music. It is just from beginning to end. It is a tour de force of of spooky awesomeness, 
and everyone should see it. I hope at this point, if you've listened all the way through, you probably have seen it, and I hope that you have. And if you haven't, just go and watch it right now. It is so good. It's worth your time. It's worth owning. And I get it. I get it now. I get it when you say, when people are like, oh, I want to see a scary movie. And I don't mean like jump scares. I want to see an actual scary film because this movie doesn't have a lot of jump scares. But what it has is it it sits with you. It lives with you. I'm, I'm changed because of it. You know, it's, yeah, that is powerful filmmaking. And just the fact that like, dude, you and I didn't really even joke much this episode. Like we usually have our running gags and everything, but this movie deserves better than that. You know, this movie deserves well, better than our tomfoolery on top of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, outside of the hello, Corey. <laughs> Wait, did you did you hear that? What what was that? I did. What, what, I, something's coming Again. through my headphones. What's going on? Where the hell is the records room? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, besides that, uh, there are there's not much to joke about in no. this. And, and I, and I think I wasn't hesitant to bring this to pad. Uh, well, I was in a little, I was slightly because so many of the movies that, that I bring tend to be, have some moments where like we can laugh our asses yeah, off cause of they're cheesy, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but this movie in many ways, like it definitely has an homage to, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, where it's all in his head, really, if you think about it, and or is it? Um, and and I, I like maybe a, a modern day take on The Shining would be a fair way to say that, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, which I think it, it, if if someone's gonna say this is a modern day version of the Sh- of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and I say Stanley Kubrick's because it's so different from Stephen King's book, yeah, yeah. If this is a modern day version of Stanley Kubrick's Shining, that's a pretty damn good endorsement because I think that film is a classic horror film. Um, this this movie, it, it it it. I hope we can give it a little more resurgence and push because it definitely needs the attention. I guarantee you if someone said to David Crusoe now, you know, what do you think about that movie? He's like, I'm proud of it now. You know, maybe yeah. he wasn't back then cause he had the ego going on and thinking he was King shit, which I could get, you know, yeah. cause he was King shit for a minute. Um, you know, but, but the cast is phenomenal. Like we're looking at like real actors, yeah. not, you know, one-offs or, or, or teenagers that, that, you know, just wanted a, a fun film to do. It's like this, these guys are like, in my book, this is a list acting. This is quality. 100% a tight script. You called it, dude, the music, the script, the cinematography, everything clicks all the location. Dare I say the best location ever for a horror film Yeah, ever. I mean, it, it rivals what the overlook uh, hotel, right? I mean, it's Yeah. I mean, the fact that the fact that they didn't do a whole lot aesthetically to this film, and you can almost kind of tell yeah. what they added to it versus what was already existing. Yeah. Yeah. The paint peeling on the wall is so terrifying. The catacomb tunnels, uh, you know, like the 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 that creepy house that they just had for a split second that 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 uh, Jeff ran out of, you know, <laughs> like yeah. all that shit, so terrifying. Uh, the cemetery. I'm just, this is a film that 
I hope people will listen to this episode and go, wow, yeah, I, I'm gonna watch it again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm said. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, guys and gals, go, go pick up the Shot Factory version of this. And you know, I mean, the only thing I can end this episode by saying is, if I could go back in time, of all the awesome things that I would do, you know, one of them would be to tell my younger self to grab one of those dusty DVDs of session nine and pop it in and watch it. I would tell myself do that because I am mad at myself for not having this in my life for the last 20 years. So that's it. It's session nine, man. It exceeded the fucking hype. Wow. Wow. And you know what I else? Hope it, when you, damn, well, I was going to say, I had a great segue for $2 late fee. God uh, damn it. No, I, this is a segue for it. Trust me. <laughs> You know what I was hoping, or you know what I hope, in in all that sadness and pain that you have, that that story uh, of working at the video store, uh, and not having and having a dusty session nine disc. I hope that's not the story you bring to two dollar late fees Patreon <laughs> tales from the video store when you uh, become a guest contributor to the show. Because I have to tell you. You know, for those that don't know, $2 Late Fee has a Patreon page, just like Podcasting After Dark does. And dare I say, there are a few pad friends that are also equal $2 uh, pad friends. We're talking like Robert Ortiz and uh, Stiff Kitten, Crystal, and Aaron, Don Gilmer, you know, like... Cross-pollination, baby. Cross-pollination. Because they know what's up. They know what's up. You want to know what's up, all you listeners? If you want to know what's up, get on to our Patreon trains because... Corey and I have a Patreon for Podcasting After Dark, which is phenomenal. Um, we have exclusive interviews on there with everybody from Rob Paulson, you know, the voice of Pinky and the Brain, uh, <laughs> Tony O'Dell. We have an upcoming one with Dee Dee Pfeiffer, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. We have, we have uh, William Sadler. We have Tom Matthews. We have just uh, we have uh, Jeanette Goldstein. We have uh, Mark Ralston. We have an insane amount of stuff over there. An insane amount of interviews. The list can go on and on and on. Yeah. It can fill a whole year. I think it does actually fill a whole year. And then some. Two year. <laughs> yeah. And, and we have our wrap-up show, which is really, really good. We always, uh, It's always something that if you like listening to us, which obviously you do because you've been listening to our show, it, it, it's, it's a great um, like apartif to our show at the end of the month. And, and we, we, we hit on some hot button issues, uh, fun stuff. It's, it's very free form, but it's a great show to check out. Yeah. And, uh, so our Patreon is great. Two dollars, $2 late fee has a Patreon with a bunch of uh, exclusive silly stuff. And and for those of you that listen to two dollar late fee, you know that my co-host on and that and I have a lot of fun and banter, and that carries over into Patreon. So and if, and if consider. you're a Patreon a patron of two dollar late fee, then you heard me on me and Dustin on what does Dustin know, and it, I think that episode is what does Dustin Corey know, and uh, we felt we recorded that right after doing the the wraith uh discussion and everything and that was fun but you guys also have uh tales from the video store right and yes. you, you worked at a video store dustin worked at a video store correct? he worked i worked i worked at video man he worked he worked at blockbuster he worked at, and um, i and i worked at big wolf video in in maryland so i'm gonna be i'm gonna go on that show and i'm gonna talk about i'm gonna talk about kicking people out uh masturbating in there i'm gonna be 
talking about the layer of dust that was on everything. And uh, I'm super excited because you guys put on a great show over there, man. I had such a blast doing the Wraith thing with you guys. I... I am dying to do our next crossover event, and I know it won't be till next year and everything, but I had a blast with you and Dustin, dude. I think I think our dynamic, the three of us, like the, the three-way dynamic between us is really fucking good, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I have a lot of fun talking with you guys, and I hope you guys check out the What Does Dustin and Corey Know on uh, on Tudor Lefe. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be dragging Corey on sooner than he thinks, actually, for, uh, for, good. for Tales from the Video I, Store. I am all Always, I am always on board for that, my friend. <laughs> and I, I will tell you just a quick cheap plug for that. Um, so we ha- we have a segment on there with uh, the celebrity guests that we interview on Two Dollar Late Fee. We just interviewed uh, Jeff Canoe, the director yeah, yeah. of Revenge of the Nerds and yeah. Gotcha and True Beverly Hills and Tough Guys. This guy basically started out his interview saying, um, you know. Uh, I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. <laughs> so he tells some story. He has no problem burning bridges, talking mad shit. In a, in, it's all truth. It's all l- very matter of fact. Those are my favorite kind of people, bro. I, I, I hate Hollywood, quote unquote Hollywood people. Yep. I love people who are like, fuck you. You know, I'm going to do my thing. And uh, yep. yeah, but you got, of course, you got to have the talent to back that up, of course. Yeah. And, and Jeff Canoe yeah. has it. He does, and he throws. Uh, I won't go into detail, but he throws uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg from the head of Disney under the bus, and uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman under the bus. Good, so, good, uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun stuff. I love it's fun it. Stuff. Anyways, <laughs> that's what's going on. But it, now, I'm doing that, and then Corey is over with uh, Cut Right, Cut a right. Seinfeld podcast. That's right. That's right. We are man. We are barreling to the end of season seven of Seinfeld. Uh, but Adam and I are also tackling curb your enthusiasm on the cartwright patreon guys and gals patreon is the way to go uh no, no the the days of artists working for free are are done guys and gals because guess what artists and creative types we have all the same bills you do so we we, we create the entertainment that you enjoy but you know we also have to pay some bills too so you know cartwright's got a patreon podcasting after dark's got a patreon two dollar late fee's got a patreon we know that we have patrons for all three of them that, that cross pollinate and we appreciate and love each and every single one of you you guys and gals are the real stars are the real heroes of these podcasts so thank you because you keep the lights on you keep us going so thank you so so much it's it's so hard to create uh, any kind of art or content when you are under the gun of paying bills and not knowing how you're going to make your next meal and everything so thank you all so so much for supporting the shows uh you guys and gals are all freaking awesome and uh we hope you guys all check out the you know other shows on the bfop network you check out uh talking back check out uh, action action blast from our past throwback trivia takedown people don't forget uh cartwright seinfeld podcast so many so many so many so many and of course two dollar late fees so i mean it's awesome and you know what Check out Ready to Retro. We love those guys over there. Those guys are fucking great. Check out Ready to Retro. We have so many podcast friends, and I, I love it. I love them all. So, so do I. So, so fantastic. And and I will sh- I will give you guys one more fun thing that $2 is doing that kind of connects with Podcasting After Dark in the sense that 
uh, you know, obviously we review cult movies on this show and, and uh, or underrated films. Uh, $2 Lafey's having a huge, huge contest this month, by the way. Um, by the time this episode airs, we may be revealing what that contest is on our Instagram page. So you want to shoot over there, check it out. Uh, it's big. It's so big. It's, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest contests that I've been a part of in a really long time. Yeah. A really fun, exclusive, brand new kind of contest. So uh, go check out Two Dollar Late Feeds Instagram page for more details on that bad boy. <laughs> and of course, check out Seven Winners Alone. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Seven Winners Alone, yeah. so damn good. So so good by David Irons, published by us. Good things. Good things all around. And man, Session 9, brother. Session 9 lived up and exceeded the fucking hype. Thank you, Zach, so much. Stellar breakdown, my friend. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side, Doc. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.